when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's July 1st, 2022, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 491. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Patrick Klepek. Hi. Did you say something? Yeah, I said hi. It's on my it's on my recording. Okay. Discord killed it. Discord killed it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like you were just waiting expectantly. Kinda. Yeah. I thought I'll, you were I'll, doing a the, bit. After um this recording, I'll I'll cut out that little bit so that you know you feel like you've listened to the entirety of the podcast, got a good sense of the flow of it, and I'll send you that hi. Don't worry. Uh <laughs> Renata Price. Howdy. And Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Uh so Patrick, you you spent a couple months working uh, a, mo- on, a month, a month, a month. Okay, uh, on a on a major feature uh, that ran last week. Uh, Call of Duty devs tell us what it's like to make a game in the wake of a mass shooting. Uh, but the, the story is kind of about more than that. It, it's kind of about uh, developers in, in light of what the news landscape is in America and uh, sort of the epidemic of like mass shootings. Uh, that's going on how game developers end up processing uh their work and and games relationships with with guns and shooting uh you want to sort of take us through the piece a little bit like what you ended up hearing from people uh as you discuss this topic yeah i might as well just like read the opening graphs it kind of like sets a tone for what i ended up like looking into so Uh, December 2012, Michael needed a break from the office he worked in, an office that was home to longtime Call of Duty developer Infinity Ward. The mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School that horrifically took the lives of 20 children and six adults had just happened. And he took a walk to the local grocery store. By chance, he also happened to be wearing a Call of Duty hoodie that identified him as a game developer, as many developers wear clothes related to the games they spend years making in isolation. While walking through the store, Michael, who has to use a pseudonym because he worried about a potential public backlash, was approached multiple times by other people who were also processing... Uh, the unfolding tragedy. These people told Michael he should be, quote, ashamed for working on Call of Duty. He, these people argued to his face, was partially responsible for the school shooting. Quote, I empathize with people who are hurting, but I don't agree that games are the main culprit, said Michael, who no longer works at Infinity Ward, but has continued to work on games centered around guns in a recent interview. Quote, I take their grief not as a personal attack. It's more of a reflection on the struggle to make sense of why government continues to fail them. Uh, and so this piece talks to three current and ex Call of Duty developers about what is it like to make games that depict sort of like mass militarized violence in the wake of what now seem to be like fairly regular, exceedingly regular mass shootings, specifically in the United States. Um, And it was born out of a I arrived at this story. This is a little bit later in the piece um, from a series of tweets by Zach Gage, who is a really 
talented, smart game designer, um, responsible for Spell Tower. What was the, was the recent one that you just played, Kato? The, the uh, word one. Not words. No, N- yeah, not K-N-O-T, words. K N O T, not words. Yeah, yeah, just like a person who spends a lot of their time thinking about why games are interesting and how to flip them on their head. And so, you know, when when, when Gage says something, he the tweet he wrote uh, back in late May was, uh, I think it's time to stop being okay with games or broke gun culture. I too enjoy Rainbow Six, Call of Duty, etc. But why do I know the difference between an F2 and an M4? Video games slash media don't turn people violent, but they do promote gun culture, and gun culture is killing us. Um, a lot of the response to that tweet was, you know, hey, like, video games don't cause violence. We have academic research, decades of, of which outlining that, which is true. Um, this doesn't happen anywhere else but the U.S., I, so that seems to sort of, you know, potentially... Uh, kind of like upset this argument, the games should feel any sort of responsibility. And out of that, what I was most curious about was in a country that just refu- just puts its head in the sand over doing anything meaningful about gun violence, what must it feel like to work on these games where on the television next to you is reports of horrific violence? And then in my head, when I was thinking about what is this, who am I thinking about in this story? I was like, well, who's the person that's like working on a model of a of a gun, like who's like working on the textures. Like, what is it like to be doing that while there are discussions happening on, 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 you know, CNN or whatever. Um, and what I arrived at was, uh, a lot of people telling me no, very politely that they would know they do not want to talk about <laughs> gun politics relative to the games that they spend their career working on. Um, but a handful did. And the through line for all of them was, uh, that they found a lot of value in their work. They were proud of the things that they'd contributed to games like Call of Duty, but more out of a sense of desperation of like, well, if the country is not going to do anything and the culture is fucked up and is continuing to get more fucked up, am I contributing to that? Is there something unique about the United States? And thus, if I'm a game developer working in the United States, mostly out of a sense of like, if nothing else, can I do something? And that that do something is not not necessarily work on one of these games, but is am I somehow contributing to the culture of gun obsession in the United States by making games that are obsessed with guns and call of duty is sort of the, you know, tip of the spear um, when when it comes to uh, games that fetishize, you know, guns and specific guns. Um, So, so yeah, that's where that was that story that was pretty, pretty tricky to kind of navigate through without, while also trying to like spend multiple times in the story reminding people, like, I don't think games cause violence. I don't think they are creating murderers, but if games are important and games are culture then they do have things to answer for in terms of the culture that surrounds it mm-hmm. i think um one section that sort of resonated with me uh a lot was um when you when you spoke with uh the developer who works on um who worked on brian hicks yeah brian yeah hicks. I was, yeah and sort of making like so he's somebody who comes from the from being a part of gun culture. Uh, you know, he sort of outlines that uh, you know, he's always been a a, a gun owner um and has uh not like not been particularly conflicted about that. Um except until recently the fact that there is no no reasonable compromise around this. The fact that like gun Gun culture became sort of dominated by like gun nut culture. Uh, people who sort of refuse any sort of like compromise or regulation whatsoever, just on principle. Uh, and sort of the fact that like, yeah, he talks about like feeling alienated from that culture. Um, and also I thought it was interesting that he had a, 
you end up also feeling a you know like feeling awkward about the text of the game as well right that like daisy mm-hmm. is a is a survivalist fantasy um and and therefore also kind of by default a, a misanthropic one uh and, and sort of re- reflecting on that and i thought that was a uh, I, I love that passage uh it's it, it's a great series of quotes um and it's a it's a really good point i think it moves it it moves it beyond just the guns right like what beyond the guns like what ideological work uh our our games our games doing the thing i do kind of get like when you're talking about like people not really wanting to discuss it too much or at least not like being too open to entertaining the possibility i think you, you sort of hit on it where ultimately i think it's beyond doubt that like video games are not the like video games are not causing this the games that like fetishize guns even like they really aren't causing this and so i think sometimes when i when i look at things like this there's also an aspect of i think we end up in a place like this with a lot of things where it turns into this sort of introspection about like what is in the culture what are what are we putting out that is like making the world worse like are we like are our thoughts somehow causing this are the things we choose for entertainment somehow contributing to this and i think like i think certainly arguing in some ways they are absolutely but also sometimes i look at it and i see it as deeply frustrating that because of some really obviously terrible like policy choices or lack thereof mm-hmm. you've got people being like well is the fact that we make got like shooters uh contributing to this in some way or like we portray guns realistically a a part of the problem and i feel like if they are it's kind of in the sense of like the deck chairs could be better laid out on the titanic uh, than they are because ultimately right. like when I, when I look at these stories, when I look at like what happens in these cases of shootings, it is uh, in, in many cases it is people like having the thought and intent of wanting to kill a bunch of people and then living in a country that facilitates that, that like makes the gap between that thought and your ability to execute it infinitesimal uh, that you can like go buy a, buy a new piece of like, you can wake up one hardware. day, have an idea, yes. and then by by lunchtime, like, yeah. execute upon that idea. And right. any, 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 any if you're going to indict video games, like I don't get it, this is the piece, but obviously games like America's Army and other things that are like blatant propaganda, uh, you know, are are far more like if you're doing the hierarchy of what is causing yeah. an issue in in the culture, like oh yeah, like the military laundering propaganda through game to first person shooter game design prob- probably a bigger one i mean because the the thing that you see i saw throughout when i was very sympathetic towards in all the developers that i talked to any of the ones that ultimately chose to like speak off the record or or not at all um was just increasing with so much like if you look around you and like a terrible thing happens and your thought is what can i do and what you conclude is not very much that's like a really despairing place to yeah. be. You know, like when we talked about, you know, Roe v. Wade earlier this week, um, you know, you can contribute to things, you can vote, you can try and get involved. But like when you're desperate and sad and you're like, I just want to fucking do something, 
and you increasingly find yourself in a country in which you can't really turn the knob no matter what you do, that is like a spiraling place to be. And I think that's what leaves some of these developers thinking, I don't, like there was one developer that left specifically because of this. They had a child, Sandy Hook happens, it plants in their head that they don't really like working on these games and they don't, you know, I think they, in one of the quotes, I like, it's a lot of uh, wondering in theory, did I contribute to a one issue vote? Did I contribute to somebody playing Call of Duty, liking a gun, going to a gun range? Like, it's a lot of like kind of far-fetched hypotheticals, but when you're left with, there's nothing else I can do. Well, maybe one thing I can do is like just step to the to the side of this. Like, I don't know if this is a cause. I don't know what it is contributing, but I don't have anything else I can do. And so what if I just leave this part behind and at least it's a little bit like <laughs> recycling, right? Uh, doesn't really, it's not going to save the planet. Feels good. Feels like you did something. Even if it's not going to well, actually on. change, <laughs> yeah. but the recycle, but actually, the recycling analogy is a little more sinister than that because well, right, the because, recycling well, yes. thing they always knew. But like the point right. was that it displaced responsibility onto people who really had nothing to do with the problem whatsoever. Right. Had such an infinitesimal, and I, and I think that like that's worth bear, bearing in mind. Where where it's like you'd argue the metaphor holds. Because it is such a meaningless gesture, and by design, it's a meaningless gesture, right? It was a thing that like involved a lot of energy and like mindfulness about. And then, for, like for ages, it's like, well, you know, people aren't good at recycling. You know, it could be more efficient, <laughs> but people are just kind of bad at it. And then what yeah. emerges is like they always knew, like recycling was set up to basically justify the like the continued man- manufacture of the these products, and then it was displaced onto people, and they were told that like. You can do if we all do our part to like mitigate this problem with this really like high mental overhead bullshit task, then we can solve this problem that, by the way, like we are creating we got it. along. Yeah, you know, you are those turtles that are like dying because of your six pack. If you just put that in the recycling, you're good. Like you're right. you're contributing. And and so that like that that is like where I do tend to see this is like I think there's so I think like military shooters I think are more culpable certainly as military yeah. propaganda uh yes. but in terms of like their relationship to gun violence to me it like I understand where the discomfort comes from and I understand like I think there's a there's definitely a case to be made that like the United States has a deeply violent culture um, but I am not sure the gun games are a, are necessarily a major driver of that. Um, you know, if anything, maybe a, a fairly neutral reflection of it, but like, I think these are conversations that are worth having and it's good that people are introspecting about them. But at the same time, like when I look at a situation like this, I also see a lot of people to your point being conf- confronted by this enormous horrific problem that nobody will fix that like yeah. if anything we're it's going not an individual on. issue it's a systemic yeah. issue yeah. <laughs> and and like that's that makes individuals not act which allows those systems to just just keep on rolling right and in response people are like well maybe you know i can contribute by like maybe if there were fewer of these games that would help in some like infinitesimal way maybe maybe but 
I don't think it will help in any measurable way next to the people who are like concealed carry should exist across the United States. Like, I don't think, I don't think like the let's have happy thoughts and portray a healthier culture, contribute to a healthier culture yeah. is going to turn a knob at all in a detectable way when you are up against forces that are like, everyone should live like fundamentally. I think the people who are like pro gun in this way, like the idea that everyone in society should have to be nice to them, basically, right? That like society lives at their sufferance uh, and that they want to reserve at any time the right to lash out violently against the perceived enemy. Um, mm -hmm. Like that's, that's kind of like, until we deal with that, I don't, I don't see uh, another, another way forward. Uh, I'm going to ask a question that will likely make you feel tremendously old and that's not my intent but it is uh, the operative aspect of the question it like the question does re revolve around this fact when you were in high school specifically what was the relationship between video games and guns because this is this is going to help me better clarify a point right like the modern military shooter capital m capital m feels like with the level of fidelity that we're talking about and like the obsession with particular firearms. And that's modern warfare, like, right? It's kind of like modern warfare is the mark in the sand. I think where a lot of this shifts in terms of this, that I mean the other call of duties, but I mean like in terms of like yes. pop culture, like yes. modern warfare is such a big moment for me. It was halo, right? Like halo was the big halo golden eye. Um, like halo was the defining shooter of my high school experience. Um, that's fantasy. For me, it's, okay. it's always been like there's been a lot of over. We're like, well, you're on PC, right? So like that. Right. So like, like when Rainbow lineage. Six happened, when the first Rainbow Six yeah. happened, like suddenly it was like time to develop strong feelings about the virtues of a Heckler and Coke uh, MP5 submachine gun versus <laughs> uh, like a car 15. Uh, or if you play like Jagged Alliance was a tactics game. I think there was literally a button that was like you can activate tons of guns mode, in which case they just like seeded the game with more varieties of weapons. Uh, from the real world but yeah so, so it's I, always been there so I, well, here's the thing is that i hear that and I, I think the the thing that i think about is i grew up in the in the modern warfare era right in mm. the post-modern warfare moment is is when i like actually grew up and i met people and like grew up playing video games with people who like very clearly developed a deeply uncomfortable relationship to firearms in no small part like you Patrick, you suggested the kind of out there idea of someone firing a weapon in a video game and then going to a range and then purchasing that it's not, weapon. It's not. It's not. It, I, I if I suggested it was out there, I would. I would. I would say uh, I did not mean to suggest that because the amount Got of it. feedback I've gotten seeking out specifically those types of people as a result of this story. Not to mention, there's a famously a or maybe infamously a Las Vegas. Two, multiple, two shooting ranges in Las Vegas, one that is called like the Battlefield Experience and another that has the, oh my God, hold on, let me, I have to get this. It's called the Gamers, mm, I'm scrolling up. Please I'm be Gamers Delight, it. please be Gamers Delight. It's very close. Oh uh, the, here, oh, here, I'll paste it to, to all of you. The Gamers, right, so the gamers Delight, there's got to be an M4 in there. Uh, so this is the Gamers Experience. Um, experience. At, oh, Jesus Christ. The Machine Gun Vegas shooting range. Uh, quote, get the video game, get the video gamers experience in our state of the art indoor gun range and shoot the guns you fight with online like the AK-47, M4, MP5, and Glock. Then take that knowledge online and dominate your favorite FPS games like Call of Duty, trademark, Counter-Strike, trademark, <laughs> Medal of Honor, trademark, and Battlefield, trademark. Um, and, uh, 
you like go down there, like, you know, they will also customize the packages if you have games um, that you wanted to. Um, and I, and I, I've since, I don't know if this will turn into a full story. Um, it kind of depends on if I get enough out of it. But like, I have talked to a number of people that um, if not became like gun hobbyists, they, when they would go to a shooting range, either of their own personal interest or it was like a group thing that was happening, the game, the guns they were drawn to were the guns they played within the games and found it particularly thrilling mm-hmm. to then have that virtual max, uh, you know, kind of sync up with the physical. Mm-hmm. Got it. I was, I was just curious because I, <sighs> I have seen as like a, as a capital Y young person, this happened firsthand in like literal school settings. Uh, I've seen people get uh, in uncomfortably overhyped uh, talking about assault rifles um, or talking about like, military style weaponry uh like in in school so i was i was this is something that i that i think about pretty frequently um and yeah i think it's it's really difficult i almost wonder if the for me the relationship between video games and gun violence and our perceptions of gun violence are more about what happens in the aftermath right and what happens in the like can I tell a can I tell a personal story that I think is 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 mm-hmm. useful for this point? So sure. when I was sixteen, we had a uh, we had a we we had a capital L lockdown uh, at my school uh, because someone sent a picture of themselves holding a handgun uh, while on school premises in the bathroom. Uh, whole school shuts down completely, uh, and then for about two hours, uh, you are in a room basically hoping that it was a false alarm and everything's fine uh, with pretty limited information uh, as, as how you can respond to it. And there's a, there's a really excellent uh, Jacob Geller video essay called, um, oh God, Space is Designed for Violence. That is about looking at the relationship between the way that schools are designed currently around, um, around school shootings as a threat and the way that video game levels are designed. And what happens is at least in my experience, is everyone gets a really weird relationship to when it's happening of thinking that they are going to be a literal hero because of the way that media constructs, like, narratives around gun violence. Where, like, it is a thing that is preventable by a person in a space, while you are also existing in places that you know are designed to be oriented around violence. Uh, and oriented to, like, quote-unquote, prevent violence, but the knowledge that you are in a space designed to prevent violence, which you can really, really get a good handle on from video games, chest-high cover is a thing in every video game that is recognizable, you can also start to see it in other spaces you inhabit. And the pervasiveness of the threat of gun violence really seeps into the back of your head and is kind of furthered by engaging with media consistently that imagines normal spaces as being the grounds where violence happens. Did you know the um the NRA made a video game <laughs> in 2006? No, um, I missed this. Uh it was called let me pull up a video for y'all. Here's a long play of uh oh my god those <laughs> immediately a shotgun shell went off in my in my headphones as I clicked that video. It spooked me. Uh, NRA Gun Club. Because it came out in 2006. Um, uh, it's basically just like a shooting range game. But it was sponsored by the NRA. Um, as part of like this potential follow-up, I've been like looking into this. Like the, the furthest I got, I have gotten. Um, 
and I can at least share a little bit of it, is like it was a game handed over to a developer, which is like, here's the design document, just build it. Um, and the, the the developer I talked to was like, boy, uh, it was also made in Canada. It's like a U.S. prop, like gun propaganda game made in Canada. It was built in by a, an old studio in, I think, Montreal or something like that. Um, and yeah, they were <laughs> the person I talked to was like, man, f- didn't this is not a quote was based was like, fuck that game. Like we didn't know any better. We were just trying to pay people. Um, and uh, but as why as the one and only time I can as far as I can tell, the NRA like made a foray into that. I don't think you could get away with something like that these these days um but uh it's it's yeah it's wild so go back to the the thing though about like the imagination of everyday life as scenes for violence like i guess like well one the role that games have in it i just don't find it that weird i just don't maybe mm-hmm. it's because i grew up doing it but like there is yeah like tons of my friends had really strong feelings about like so if you needed to clear uh, the North Hallway, how would mm-hmm. you do it? Like, because we played games like that. And yeah, like it was just it was easy. It was easy enough to like sort of imagine. But the reason you thought about like, why might violence like break out in this place is because. When I was in high school, like this was around the time that school shootings started, like I think Columbine happened while I was in high school. Um, and so it starts like becoming a thing that's in the back of your mind of like, okay, there might be someone here who like nobody knows real well, or like spooks people a little bit who might just one day like snap and come and like do mass violence here. But like, I don't like it's, 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 it's a weird thing, but it's also, I think about those games and like, people just engage with these as like interesting problems. I just don't find mm-hmm. it like I think it's weird in that it's kind of a strange hobby. Like if you think about it, but I don't think it's like putting out in the world, any energy that's like generating it. No, it, it, I don't like it. Oh, go ahead, Ron. I was going to say, I don't think it is. I think it, it is more, I don't think it is, it is a, it is a motivator for gun violence, but changes the ways in which we respond to it emotionally. Uh, and the ways in which if you are a person who is, who has grown up around this, that you change your relationship to when it happens. Like, yeah. for example, I grew up in a different era of school shootings, right? Yeah. This might be my anxiety speaking. And I, but I will actually, I will, I will push this beyond the anecdotal. I've spoken to a lot of people. And I asked this question too because I wanted to make sure that it was not my own anxiety speaking. There would be days where people would walk in and feel like it was going to be the day. Consistently. Just like a random day where everyone felt like it was going to be the one. And I think in that ways, the ways in which violence permeates spaces and the way in which our understanding of violence permeates spaces becomes... That is where it actually begins to have an effect is when we respond to the threat of violence. But um, as a, a motivator for it. Sorry. I have a question for you. Uh, did they do lockdown drills when you were in high school? Like, did oh, they, yeah. like, okay. oh, God, yes. So, so many. Because I've seen the other criticism is that, one, they don't really like. I think, lockdown, I think lockdown drills are bullshit. The fact that my five-year-old participates in them and, like, is not helpful. Like, well, but not also, I, her life. like, I've seen some criticism that, like, do they also have a function in, like, generating, generating the ideation uh, sure. among potential, like, mass shooters? Um, like we or already know stuff we, like that. We know like about you the start copycat p- effect. Right. Right. 
Right. And it's like stuff like that when you start thinking of like the hierarchy of like, what is the problem here? Is it like like that we're walking people through how a, how a mass shooting occurs once per quarter like right. let me, let me, in the let, high school where you could do it? And or or or, or uh, let me defend another one of my hornies, um, which what? is that <laughs> you can't. OK, you all go know. Bed. I got to go to bed. We all know here. We all, we all know I love cars. Kato, I'm going to need you to cut that line out and start making a soundboard, mm-hmm. please. <laughs> but. So where where I'm going going with this right is like it is like evident that like tons of games like execute like fulfill a function as the like car marketing right like if you look at the like Forza Gran Turismo and such they 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 have a role in like getting people hype about cars that for the most most part people are never going to have the chance to drive or or be able to. Uh, afford and you have similar things right like you can go and have like track experience days where you get access to a supercar for like ninety minutes on a track uh and whatever are those causing a rise in pedestrian deaths are they related to that well they're contributing to to car culture they're certainly a reflection of car culture right but if you like sort of step back and say like well what's actually driving this it's probably a lot more to do with the fact that like we basically didn't subject suvs to any kind of safety regulations uh that like cars and other types of vehicles are expected to adhere to and we created this carve out for like massive heavy vehicles that don't have any sort of standards about like pedestrian collision right like the big high square front grill on a suv um the reason cars never look like that now is because to sell a car particularly in the european market it's got to have like low and really rounded off like corners uh so that people are thrown off like over into the side of a car in case of a strike rather than pulled under and certainly so they don't absorb the full impact and where i'm going going with this is like to an extent you look at these things and say wow like people have like people engage with these things uh and entertain these fantasies of violence or uh you know transgressive speed on like on on roads but when I look at like what the drivers of the problems are, it's usually almost always a business that knows that any sort of sensible regulation will like make them less money, right? Mm-hmm. And so they will foster whatever it takes. They'll foster a culture that defends their interests. I mean, SUVs, honestly, is a weird thing uh aaron gordon has written pieces about this um and i think there's a book called like high and mighty about like to create the the massive suv market you first need needed to identify and create the suv and like heavy duty truck user um and what they discovered was like you know there's a there's a large population of pissed off insecure men in america who if you can can get convince them to connect their choices in vehicles to uh, that insecurity, like it will become a a cultural signifier for them and a fetish Mm -hmm. object. And I think like that's kind of, to me, that's kind of like a really like similar parallel in terms of we, Mm -hmm. we both have like these large and growing social problems uh, sort of being held in stasis by the fact that it's wildly profitable for some people and the status quo is being defended by a lot of folks who have effectively been like radicalized to treat the stuff as part of their self-image. You well, say, even even the um in the you know the the yeah. sort of like groundbreaking Simon Parkin piece for Eurogamer back in 2012, where he spoke with uh like a number of folks who were responsible with like back 
games would have actual licensed firearms. They wouldn't just be modeled around mm-hmm. and like be riffing on. They would have actual explicit like, hey, this is the thing that if you went to the gun store, you can buy this exact thing. Games don't do that nearly as much anymore, like probably in part because of pieces like Parkins. But like there's a quote in there from um, that I think is in my in my piece. Uh, uh, um. From this, yeah, this guy, Ralph uh, Vonto, who uh, uh, told Parkin, uh, it's hard to quantify what extent rifle sales have increased as a result of being in games, but video games expose our brand to a young audience who are considered possible future owners. Which it gets to the whole question, like, what is that? Like, what are you doing advertising for in the first place? It's like, I don't know. Like, you put it in front of people and you hope it turns into money. And then when it turns into money, just keep doing more of that stuff. And so, you know, gu- video games making guns cool probably does make guns more profitable but that doesn't mean that it's turning into mass shootings but right. it can then it can make it be easy to understand why you start intertwining mm-hmm. the two as you as you seek any sort of answer in the absence of as rob pointed out like the fucking the fact that you just pointed out that the it makes sense to me the car designs would be reflective of regulations that are like uh to make it so people die less but like that's an instance in which like that's policy like not like picking apart like advertising and culture, and then it's it's an actual policy. And what we lack here is policy. So then we look at culture, and now the culture is like not responsible for anything, isn't important, doesn't influence things, and the culture can work with you know as part of policy. Or I guess in this case, it's working against policy. Like it, the culture exists to try and reject <laughs> policy solutions to it, but it's it's not as simple as like you know. I think it's bad that those games had licensed firearms. I don't like <laughs> you don't need that. But I don't know that if we still lived in that world, that necessarily means I think it means guns are making more money, but I don't necessarily means like you see a rise in shootings as a result. Right. I don't I don't think that that is I mean, that's I think we've I don't think that's what this conversation is really Mm -hmm. even about anymore. Right. Like, I feel like even even the piece makes that very clear. The piece does not suggest that, like, people are wondering if. People are wondering if they are somehow complicit in a culture that promotes mass shootings. Yes, this is true. But I feel like for me, reading that piece, the general thrust was about the deep mental toll it takes on people over time. Like like Rob was alluding to earlier with, with talking about recycling as the metaphor, right? It isn't just the mental overhead of the task. It is also the like egregious emotional burden in which it like puts upon people and that is where i think there is another interesting question to be had and more interesting conversations to be had is like okay we all agree that this isn't causing this but what is the what are the other imp- other impacts this is having outside of causation right is this is this a catalyst for particular emotional responses to these to these situations right is the presence of you know is the presence of weapons in video games a a catalyst for emotional response right and that is that is the interesting question for me at this point because i think that the other conversations have been done to death um and that is where i i end up thinking a lot after these things and after a lot of things right even with you know roe v wade we talked about previously right what is the emotional responses that people are having and how do we navigate them like as a collective group of people through the tools that we specifically as people who work in this medium have access to yeah, and I, I think to that point was you know later in the story there's an interview with a with a teacher who's uh, teaches game design at a at a high school, um, and one of the like they're not exp- you know it, it's something they talk about upfront in their class is like hey, mo- a lot of the games you play involve like weapons and guns like that's not the kinds of games we're going to make 
Doesn't mean your games can't include violence. Doesn't mean you can't find a way to justify to me that the things that you build will have a gun. But let's try and imagine what you could build without it. Um, and like, I think that's an instance in which you start to wonder, like, just in terms of like how games are made, how we arrive at like certain types of games made over and over. Like, there was certainly a pipeline between like what you were exposed to growing up that like creates your worldview of what is possible and then what you would like to create when you get into mm-hmm. the world and maybe start building it yourself. And I think there's certainly an argument to be made that like games are limited in scope because of, uh, you know, how much like guns and, and violence is depicted. And thus when new generations come in to build games, like you're naturally going to model it over what you liked and what you were surrounded with. And so like one way to think about how do you expand that a bit is like, I guess like an education level when people are starting to formulate, what is a game? Like, what are the verbs I can use? Uh, is pushing back on. It's like, the guns are going to be there. <laughs> like, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Like, we have we have proved that is successful and that is a fun thing to left trigger, right trigger. Um, but like, what if you tried to model it after after something else? And I thought that was a, like an interesting approach to the, the when you start thinking of it as like a game culture, game design, larger issue um, is mm-hmm. like, how do you bring in folks creatively thinking beyond just that as like the parameters of design? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, like I think where I tend to return a lot with this though is I think I'm hard pressed to like people like stories where violent shit happens. They really, yeah. they, they really do. It's not a thing that video games discover. Video games yeah. just made it feel cool as shit. Yeah, um, I don't. <laughs> And, and, and so like, I like, I think it's good. It is really good work and really good, like creative exercise to think about like, what other things can we evoke? What other, uh, like dreams can we sort of inspire? Um, but where I get a little bit, where, where I get a little bit leery of, I, it's very easy for these things to turn into arguments about like whether or not there's like meaningful personal culpability like enjoying or making or like mm-hmm. promoting these games and I, I think it's very easy for these conversations to end up in a place where mm-hmm. you're almost engaging in like magical thinking where it's like we need to be like we need to change the culture by like focusing on and promoting other sorts of experiences and other ways sort of engaging with this medium. Mm. And I don't think that work has anything to do with the work of stopping or like mitigating mass shootings. That's like, that's just like, that's where I do Mm -hmm. tend to like that because I like that, that does not mean that the work is not worth doing, but do not confuse it with thinking that it's like tackling the problem of this like form of Mm -hmm. violence. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I think that the there's a lot of people who very firmly and strongly believe that by producing media that is not violent, they are somehow going to fundamentally reshape people's relationship to violence. And it's it's just not. And like to to imagine violence and stories about violence as an inherently morally wrong as an inherent moral wrong is to, one, deeply underestimate people's ability 
to process and interpret information that is presented to them. That is just, that is, that is a silly thing to do and shows a deep lack of faith in your audience or in audiences broadly. Um, and so like, I, I, I agree that that is not the answer. That is not the answer to gun violence because the only answer, the only reasonable answer to gun violence is, is in this case, policy, right? That is the answer. Um, and so I think conversations which begin at how do we solve a problem are already completely off in the wrong foot. Yeah. Um, I do like, I guess the reason I keep coming at this point is I actually genuinely feel really bad for some of the folks that like you're talking to, like it's a, it seems like it's a really weird and troubling thing to like, I, well, first of all, it's always a troubling day when, um, you can sort of mark just how weird certain days felt, right? Like uh, Newtown, um, you know, mm-hmm. being a being a day where you're just like stunned for the entire day that something like that could happen. Uh, I remember, like, we were, I think we were going to be doing a podcast later in the day, uh, the day that Vegas shooting happened. Um, yeah. It was still late at night in Vegas, and we all woke up and discovered this this thing had happened. Um, and so, like. I can only imagine how much weirder it would be to be like, okay, now to now to go to my job at the reproduce tools and performance of like realistic violence with military hardware, <laughs> hardware. That's yeah. a, that's a really strange uh, and awful day, but it also kind of pisses me off that there are people who have to like, carry that burden and like that sense of like inner conflict and guilt. Yeah, the fact that because they motherfuckers exist, will is, not it, like tackle yeah. this problem, right? Yeah, it gets it gets distributed to the wrong people. The weight is on like this article shouldn't exist. I you should I you should have a bad day because it you know a mass shooting is itself like a bad thing. You shouldn't be wondering am am I the baddie because of like the the, the video game that you're making, whether right. it has guns or not, and that is the direct result of just decades of policy and action that like. <laughs> If, if, if anything, like by depressing folks to that point, all, all it does is do the do the work for the people who have already created this problem in the first place. Well, I guess it's my fault. And so, well, no, it's not. It's not your fault. It's somebody right. else's. But they've made you they've they've they have they've pushed you down to the degree that and you, you are left you, with you the feel, only lever I can control. Right. What, yeah, what can me, I yeah, do? Right. What, what am I? What doing? art yes. am I creating? What work? What is my work yeah. contributing in in some like? Yeah, uh, it's it's enraging. Right. And I mean, like, here's the thing is like, we are, we are even brushing, uh, even in this conversation, we are brushing up against it because we have, we have gestured at the politics and culture of personal responsibility, right? Like that is, that is the other thing that is, that's happening here is like, if you, the other conversation is that like, oh, we are talking in a culture that is defined around what is your personal responsibility for problems? Like you were talking about earlier, Rob, with recycling, right? And so like, it applies to game devs. It applies to everyone in their daily lives, right? Every, every single time this happens, I feel like every person I know has a moment where it's like, ah, oh, shit, I should have done more. With, with Roe, this happened. Every, everyone I know has a moment of like, ah, oh, shit, I should have done more for this thing that you have no actual institutional power over. And I think that having deep empathy is the only way that things actually get done because otherwise you have people too exhausted and broken to ever be able to put things into action. I wonder how much of this is also just a, a hangover of I feel like it has waned 
but that that notion that like we could engage with everything through the lens of consumerism and mm-hmm. use consumer power to affect change and like sort of like the recycling thing right where it's, well, like, it's also, an ex- also an extension of while well, our institutions are broken so right. what i need is coca-cola to say trans rights on twitter and well, not uh, just that but also what but like don't drink coca-cola products because do you know who they're donating to in georgia right and such right. and it's like that's true but also i don't think like i i do not think me buying a 12 pack of coca-cola is like a significant con- you know what i mean like i don't think me going through my on my grocery trip standing there in my cart pushing it along and being like <laughs> what are the good companies to to buy from uh vanishingly few right but i think for a long time there was this notion that like one one thing we could use to affect change was uh you know the market is a, a way to see like what what people are buying if they if they make their decisions mindfully and say i'm not going to buy this product cuz uh like it, it, it like the people who make it uh like are having this effect in the world or the way it is made is having an effect in the world. Uh, then if we all make like good virtuous, like consumer decisions, we can affect change because it will no longer be good business to do this kind of harm. And I think if you push it far enough, you end up in uh, this notion of, well, all of our collective decisions to be like, man, I can't wait for the new call of duty to come out. Um, that that sort of mass decision, if we sort of unmade it and suddenly there weren't these games being made that like hyper realistically showcase, uh, you know, all this hardware and, and the optics and shit, uh, like, could that change the relationship of the culture to these kinds of weapons? I still think infinitesimally, but I think it's, it, it comes from this, from this place of for a long time in lieu of like, genuine policy solutions being offered and like a vision of government that's going to be like we're going to identify problems and then we're going to solve them instead it was all sort of pushed off on people making individual decisions oh you don't like you don't like how your meat is raised well maybe if you just like you know buy organic uh oh you don't have money for that well i guess i guess you like the cheap meat after all don't you so i guess it's on you (laughs) like that is kind of like we like that attitude was fostered through the 90s and it sort of peaked in the 2000s. We still see bits and pieces of it. Uh, but I think to an extent, some of this this notion of like personal responsibility on the level of just like the thoughts you have <laughs> or the type of things you are drawn to in entertainment, I think it's it's sort of on a continuum with that, right? Where everything was sort of rendered into either a literal marketplace or a marketplace of ideas that we could buy into or not. Right. I mean, it's like we, we are describing it, it is, it was, it's what happens if you have literally no understanding of what collective action actually looks like in, 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 in real and meaningful ways and how power functions collectively, where it is like, it is, the recycling example is both an example of people misunderstanding personal responsibility as collective action or consumerism as collective actions. Uh, boycotts don't matter if no one is striking. Like y- you have to yes. be actually pushing on levers of power and pushing on levers of power simultaneously. If you are only doing the personal boycott, nothing actually fucking matters until people are not working. 
right? Mm -hmm. You have to be able to doing both things at the same time to affect real and meaningful change. And, and the other thing is like, I think that people forget that it is actively in the benefit of capital to make to, very frequently in the benefit of capital to make people's lives worse in the benefit of industry to materially make people's lives worse because it makes them dependent on systems. And if you do not understand that, then you are always going to, uh, to toe this personal responsibility line that does not understand that the thing that exists is trying to make your life worse so you are dependent upon it. If you happen to be in the class that that does not particularly apply to, congratulations. But if you aren't, you have to be aware that that is the case for a lot of people. Well, and there's also no demonstration of another way, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I don't know that I'm like gonna be too upset over like the mass populace for not understanding, like pulling the levers of collective power when that's mostly falls on the dipshits who should be pulling the levers for them after they go to the to the voting booth and put them into power. I mean, like, I think that's all connected. It's like, right. how can you how can you aspire to do something if it's never been modeled for you? And we've essentially spent decades just watching, you know, one side figure that out and the other side hoping it would go another way um we should uh we, we maybe even we're starting to bitch about the democratic party is the time that we should probably stop <laughs> probably like why yep. not this conversation we we, we, we we leave it for there <laughs> we leave it there for now um i could i could discuss i could discuss this uh this failed ideology all day uh but uh we're gonna take a quick break and return uh to the field of video games uh right after this Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, I got to get this off my chest. Mm, hit me. It's possible I'm not good at Motorsports Manager. <laughs> I haven't played it in a bit. Kato, mm -hmm. So Kato and I have started playing Motorsports Manager uh, like on stream. And to make it interesting for ourselves, because in the past when I picked like middling teams. Because oh, you're, so, you're, you're so good that you just had to make it interesting for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like when I so here's the weird thing. I think Motorsports Manager has a weird game balance problem where it's really easy to take well, a middling I'm, I'm team. I'm bad at it, and so I think something must be wrong with this video game. No, when I've done before, like you can take a middling team and it gets to the top very, very easily, right? Okay. Like to the point where it's almost trivial, where it's like you take over a team that like it's it's like taking over uh a team that is squarely like at at like a five hundred record in the NFL. And it's real easy motorsports manager to turn that into like an immediate playoff contender. And from there, like a dynasty, we didn't do that. We picked a team that was so Hold, caught up. When I went we? back and I revisited our, cause I had no clue what was happening. Whoa. I didn't whoa. know what oh, I was so doing. doing this. <laughs> Look, I just, I'm just saying that 
you knew going into this game what bad was, and I had no baseline of knowledge at all. <laughs> and I was like, sure, that seems fine. We're uh, seventh or whatever, which I didn't realize meant that our drivers are regularly in like 19th place or some shit. <laughs> no, it, so, but they're supposed to be good drivers. So <laughs> I would have to. So I went back and I watched the VOD of our first game where we made some fateful decisions. And there were two teams that were very, very similar. They were like right next to each other in terms of like quality. One was basically bankrupt and had somehow overperformed, uh, but had like a trash car, some good drivers and no assets whatsoever. And the other team, which was like right next to it in terms of the standings, had a lot of money on hand and like a decent development program. And we went with the team with just nothing in the tank, no reserves of like capacity. And we've been playing it ever since. And like we knew we were in trouble when like we finished the first race. And it was like every time our team races, it loses a million dollars just because like the income and cash outlay is so out of whack. Um, But we've we've been playing it more since then. And uh, I'm going to say like up front, I'm having a lot of fun. (laughs) But it's fun in the sense that like. I feel like we are always trying to play the worst hand ever dealt yeah, and turn it into like a like or the worst deck ever assembled and turn it into like a tournament winner. Um, And so today, though, the thing that's haunting me is that there's so many little decisions you have to make. And. Sometimes you get one a little bit wrong. What does that mean? Okay, Rob, don't explain it to me. Kato, what did he do wrong? Uh, I don't. I'm not actually sure which one he's referring to because there's been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, Rob. You're muted. Wait. Kato, keep going. I just mean over the span of our playthrough, and not necessarily this mm-hmm. past stream. This past stream. Well, um, I mean, are we talking about the pit? Are we talking about the pit? The late pit? Is that? Because that's what I think went wrong, but I don't actually know. Here's the thing. Here's the problem. Is that I don't feel like I've actually grokked correctly the flow of certain parts of motorsports, because I'm not a motorsports person at all in other places. Uh, but Rob is. So, I see, I see a board <laughs> where the people... We're in, like, what? Tenth or something? A little above that. No, no, we're in ten, we're in tenth. We're, we're around ninth, tenth. Ninth. ninth out of ten teams. And then the next five people, like the the rest of the board above us, they're running low on tires. They're gonna have to take a pit stop. We're running low on tires. We're okay on tires actually, because we did an earlier pit stop. But when they leave, in theory. We should be able to catch up to where they were if we're fast enough, right? Tires mm-hmm. affect how fast we go. And so my thought was like, let's pit earlier than we thought because everyone else then above us will pit. All the standees will kind of like shake out in, where, in a way where hopefully we can catch back up on these speedier tires that we should be able to stick on uh, for the rest of the race. Now... There's two things that kind of went wrong here. One is I feel like I still think we should have pitted a a lap earlier. Yeah. 
Cause okay, so the pro- <laughs> you're, remember you're juggling. You're always juggling two drivers. That's yeah. the other part of this. Is there's okay. two drivers All running. Right. Uh, you have two cars, and in terms of like the original cycle, one of them was coming due for a stop more urgently. <laughs> one of them couldn't. Pick- yeah, wouldn't be able to drive the car. The other right. one was like, we should pit you for strategy. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, Kato, I, I think the, the mistake Kato is referring to is the but, guy who was really driving well, uh-huh. we could have pitted him early ahead of cycle of the other guy who, yes, he was on bad tires, but like his race sucked anyway. And we could have had him running in the optimal zone for longer, I think is what Kato yeah. is driving at, which My I thought think is like, right. Like get on the softs, which are which he had this special thing where he specifically unlocked this perk that was like. His soft tires, which normally degrade really quickly, but are the fastest you can get, uh, degrade much slower. And we were able to, like, stay on softs, like, way past when other people had to, like, stop and switch out tires to the next set of tires. And I thought, well, let's be on those softs, which are always faster for a longer amount of time. Over time, eventually, you would make up the seconds on having to hit a little earlier, by out by class, being faster, by being faster um, overall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Kato has a keen understanding here of tire strategy. That's basically <laughs> it. That's, that's the theory. That's how it's supposed to work. Um, I think I was still, I was still unconvinced that like he couldn't, I was so shocked when he went on to the like slower tires, not just, but they're so they're slower and more durable. And he goes out there and like immediately they lose 25% of durability. Like yeah. immediately. He's just, just like eating through they, the harder tires. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it was, it's just a nightmare where I was like, how did this even happen? Uh, and that's when so, I was yeah. like, well, he's going to burn these tires anyways. Yeah. Pump so, into max. But the like, problem is, make them go. <laughs> the problem is I focused on the guy who was having the shitty race first. Um, and let him have the pit stop. Um, and it just, it was like, we ended up making the call late. The mistake I was going to say, the, uh, the, 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 next the fatal one. one. I don't, yeah. I still don't know what happened there. I still think, see, this is why I didn't see that as a mistake. I saw that as a game, not revealing something or us not knowing something about the way Patrick the game ran works. out of gas. A no, race car well, ran no, out of gas. No, I swear to God. I swear to God. <laughs> that's the la- I feel <laughs> like that's the last thing you want to happen in a high speed I race. swear to God. We did math. We were like, okay, that's how many of these gallons. Uh, like, we, we, we raced, like, what was it? Like, 11 laps on, quote unquote, Okay, six so this gallons, is the way the race kind of, this, laps the game of, kind of fucks with you this way. Yeah. They give you estimates for how much fuel you're putting into the car, but... You can change how like turned up your engine is. And yeah. Yeah. And so when that estimates you have 12 laps of fuel, you'll be running the race and you're like, okay, well, we did 12 laps and only used six of the laps that were in that fuel tank. Like yeah. the fuel tank is still half full and we did 12 laps. So we're good. Like our consumption rate is really slow and we're good. And so we cut it real fine. <laughs> God, because it takes fuel is the slowest thing to go into the car. You can only pump gas so fast, like right, more right. gas to fill up longer. The car is stationary. Mm-hmm. So if you don't put more fuel in or or sort of skimp on it, like that's a place you can save time. We didn't put 
Connor, did we put any fuel in that man's car? No, I no, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. So when that we put when, any, when, any we, gas. when we finally got around <laughs> to putting him on the faster tire, yeah, we were like, well, he's been going through fuel so slowly that he'll have enough to finish the race. Yeah, and I'm with Cotto here. I think something I weird happened. I with fuel swear to God, rate at the, the second we dipped, we hit one lap of fuel left. It the 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 speed at which it started to decline rose exponentially. Yeah, <laughs> it was like like that. It last- was like you got a lap and a half left of fuel, and there's about a lap and a half left of the uh, left of the race, and then it was like, okay, you've got like a third of a lap left of fuel. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel like that. I feel like that's how car, like I know cars will estimate how much they when you hit like E. No, it's right, the opposite. Then, it's the opposite. Cars normally give you an extra ten miles after you hit E. Yes, because they, they know that you know know E drops fast. Yeah, right. But 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 I also don't like. Is that is that actually t- like? Is it a is it a guesstimate? Like you know what is yeah. that actually? Yeah. me. I uh, uh, <laughs> years ago when I moved back to the Midwest from California. Uh, my wife flew back with our dog and I had two friends fly out. I was like, yo, I got to bring this car across the country. Let's do like a, a road trip. Like I'll turn it into a week and a half instead of like four days of intense driving. And we stopped in Reno, Nevada, like one of the nights because we thought that'd be like funnier than going to Las Vegas, which proved to be true. <laughs> um, and uh, we we left Reno the next day um, with half a tank of gas, mm-hmm. maybe a little under. And I figured that's fine. That's fine. Um, and just set out where you're just going on the desert with nothing around you, right? Like it's, it's just long stretches before you get to any sort of gas stations, towns. And we, my confidence was misplaced on this. <laughs> oh, um, no. Or maybe in my head, I'm saying it's half a tank and it was a quarter tank, but maybe I'm <laughs> misistering this a little bit. And we get about an hour into this drive and I turned to one of the, the guys I was with. And I was like, hey, you haven't seen anything, right? Like I was driving. I was like, we're about to hit like that yellow E and <laughs> w- w- like we can't turn around. Like we have to just keep going forward. There's no turning left. There's no turning right. It is just, well, of course, at some point like, we have to arrive at something, right? And we hit E and I, this was a, a oh what car did i have then it was a honda i forget which one they don't make them anymore it doesn't matter i don't know what the mileage was like we were like trying to so here's the problem we're like google how much this car has when it hits e well we didn't have the signal to look up how much this car has when it's on (laughs) e a friend of mine is flipping through the manual trying to see if that's something that would be found but those manuals are so fucking dense how do even i don't i can't remember if they found it basically like we would just like count the mile marker, yeah, like on the on like the actual like the speedometer, and it's like, well, we went another mile. That's one one mile less of gas we have, and we went another twenty minutes. Where eventually <laughs> we got like a tiny bit of signal, like someone was able to like had a uh, like AAA number that we could call. I was like, we're not gonna die out here, but like this could be a very very uncomfortable day, pretty fucking quickly <laughs> um, if we don't get this solved, and then. I, I I swear to you, like right right as it felt like the car was like about to gasp out, we hit like a, a city called Love, wow. just straight up called Love, and there was a gas station. Damn, we pulled in, filled the thing up, and that is the. So I 
you were saying the story <laughs> of like this is cow getting gas was like that is the story i think <gasps> of is when i almost when i almost stranded myself in in the desert from miscalculating gas God. see Jesus. now All imagine right. imagine that getting to that gas station by a certain amount of time mm-hmm. would give you uh, what is it, $200,000 when you're spending a like a million dollars on the whole trip? <laughs> 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 Just had that little extra bit of a, a economic incentive and or punishment depending on how you look at it. <laughs> okay, also, like, we also need... Okay, so Kato, I just pull up the VOD. Yeah. Um. So there's definitely a bit of... I may have deer in the headlights to... A little bit. <laughs> okay. Like, you can see, I start to get concerned about fuel consumption, but also uh-huh. I'm so greedy for our finishing position, right? Yeah. We were in, like, fifth. Yeah, we were in. And I was, like, <sighs> so greedy we for it. And the fifth. thing is, the we thing only is, ninth. we only needed ninth. The meter was, like, you've got, like, a lap and a half left. Yeah. And, but have we considered the possibility chat has betrayed us? chat because multiple people have said when you run in like the neutral engine mode you Uh actually like your consumption is a little bit less right that's not true like (laughs) it was pretty much on the money uh like the fuel started dropping pretty precipitously at that point yeah uh and even when we went to like conserve mode it was still dropping incredibly fast uh to the point where like I'm, i'm still not sure your theory that something was fucked up with our car and it was at the end of all its tethers. It, uh, in terms it of honestly felt like the fuel line sprung a fucking leak or something. Is what I I, I does, does that even is that even something that the Hang simulation up. does? Motorsport <laughs> manager can fuel can can yeah can, can a fuel line break? Were we sabotaged? Yeah, Did it, someone- it, it, <laughs> it felt wow, it seems like we're we're blaming fuel lines <laughs> chat. Um, this is sad. What else? You know what else? What else can we blame uh, for? I, this is hard to listen to. <laughs> oh, parsec. Oh, parsec. There's latency. Um, <laughs> uh, thanks, but yeah, uh, it <laughs> never would have happened if we'd only been using OBS. Uh, you know what, uh, Rob? Is it possible that it's just a lack of fidelity? That if you had a 3080, right. maybe right. you could have seen a little of more course. detail in. Like the text elements that you could have picked up on this. Rob, Maybe in Rob. the 3080 mode, you can see the few. Uh oh, Rob, what did you just. It looks like there's a stat with car, like with car performance that, uh-huh. like, you can have a. You, your car can be a little bit more. It looks like it looks like everyone gets the same interface in terms of, like, how many laps of fuel do you estimate you have? Right. But it looks like you might get a bonus in consumption rate. Depending on like how good your car is at this aspect, and oh. so what's true of some cars may not have been true of ours. Oh no, yeah. that's just a life oh, lesson. No. Yeah. So anyway, so the thing is, so when way too late, we're like, this is not working, and we click the button that says like conserve fuel, like just lift and coast, like yeah. don't don't run the engine hard. And still, it was dropping like a stone. Like, yeah. it was, they, like, we waited until they were down to about, like, 30, like, three-tenths of a lap remaining uh, of fuel. And they had, like, two-thirds of a lap left to drive. And we we switched it to, like, low-consumption mode. At that point, it was too late. They ran out of gas in the final, like, two corners. 
And the way this game works is when you run out of gas, um, your car doesn't stop, thank God. Uh, but it like sort of limps across the finish line um, at like a <laughs> sharply oh. so What happens in what like has this happened? I'm sure this has happened in real races. Mm-hmm. Like, what happens when you're out of gas? Do you tow it? Do you wait till the race is over? Like, well, yeah, I mean, if your car, yeah, if you're out of gas, that's that's day done. Uh, you, you can get. But do they like remove? Do they like pause the race to like remove it? Depends so it's on not where you. Uh, depends on where you stall. Um, so okay. like, if you pull over up, to the side of the road while you stall, so you can get out of the way of the other car. Yeah, these days they're really aggressive about. It. They used to be really casual about it. Like, if if a, if you pulled it off the side of the road in a place that like. It was really unlikely that anybody having an accident would like come and collide with your car because like say you're like sort of sheltered behind a guardrail, uh, then they'd be like, let's just continue running the race. It's fine. Uh, now they're much more aggressive about that. And so if a car is stalled anywhere where conceivably uh, cars having incident racing could like end up uh, getting entangled, they just like call a safety car uh, so that people can come and like collect the stalled car. Uh, so that's generally how that works. Um, where you tend to see these sort of, cause you don't see honest Patrick, you don't see many teams mm. make this mistake anymore. Uh, you see a lot less people running out of gas these days. Uh, <laughs> you see, you see a lot more people. People have learned their lessons on that one. You see a lot more people like being able to read a meter correctly and making decisions <laughs> uh, accordingly. Now where people get in trouble is to make sure that your fuel is legal. Um, you're required to present a sample at the end of the race. So you need to have enough in the tank to like for them to stick the little like dipper in and get the sample. If you don't, they disqualify your car. Um, Jesus. And so the last real like incident we had with that was um, I want to say it was the Aston Martin team had a really surprisingly great race. Uh, They ended up in third place for the first time in ages. uh, And then they couldn't supply the fuel sample. And they got disqualified, but they swore up and down that according to their calculations, that fuel should have been in the car. So they began basically begging the people who run F1. Could you shake the car around? Because there should be enough fuel in there. And it's just stuck somewhere. It's in one of those lines, but like just shake the car around. There's few like you can get your sample. It's just in there. Um, so it's legal. You just need to find it. Uh, and Formula One was like, like we've looked. Like it's it's not. That's that's done. So they, they like their entire result for that race was wiped out. Um, much like Cato's and mine was. Uh, I'm I'm reviewing the reviewing a bit of the tape. Cato, it's not a good vod. It's a bad vod. What? Well, so because- what did you just find? Because I because I just found the thirty seconds. Or more where we could have averted this. Like the 30 seconds where we're looking at the problem as it unfolds and telling ourselves this can't be happening. We have two levers essentially that we can pull on during the race as managers, right? We're telling them to drive a different style and how much Mm -hmm. like uh, fuel the engine is taking, right? Yes. I think a thing that may be happening... Well, there's two things. One, I'm noticing... Uh, lap 25, that's three before the end, right? We're driving in a pack. We're ninth, and the next four cars are, like, right, like, we're right in, we're in a a solid pack of cars, which means we're not going super fast. We're using the middle strategy and kind of staying in that pack, and I'm watching fuel consumption and being like, huh, it's not very high right now. 
I feel like that's when I start to internalize how quickly that number is going down. And I assume that that's just going to be the same. We're at neutral on both of these things, right? Ne- on, yeah. on the driving strategy yeah. and on the fuel consumption. Yeah. At the end, you turn down the one that says that it affects fuel and leave the one that says that it affects tire. And I'm wondering... If you could have just driven everything's like quiet, like soft. Yes. If the driving mm, style yes. does over overly affect the tires, but will also consume more fuel. That's a great point. You're right. Because we at might- the end, we're we're still quote unquote pushing or being like on the one tick above neutral on the on the style of driving, but the the fuel consumption is just like going to 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 the pits. I'm <laughs> just like what. It is yeah. happening. Uh, and look, we don't need to talk about that moment late in the race where I turned up the engine a little bit yeah, just that to one really <laughs> make sure you could like leave some people in the dust. We don't need to talk about that yeah, uh, we're decision. Fifth already. <laughs> um, also, that last pit stop, he could have put fuel in it and that would have solved the problem. We didn't. Um, you know, again, we we really sort of overshot. We were trying to get a we were trying to get like a 15th place car uh, into like the top three positions and that's just that that made some bad decisions but the good news uh is that we might be we might get fired um (laughs) so that might finally learned what the limits are on motorsport manager uh (laughs) there's a little meter that says how secure your job is and we were like wow they love us we can do whatever because like nothing makes this number change it changed a lot (laughs) like this last race like it was like hey your job's secure nothing to worry about we finished this last race and it was like, you might want to start like backing up your email contacts and <laughs> uh, like getting anything you want out of that office. Because uh, really, the next you know, time it's you super leave, nice that they're like giving us a heads up, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And also we made some awesome hiring decisions. Uh, so, Kato, so Kato and I are also experimenting with um, a little theory of like needing to spend money to make money. Yeah, that's just true. And so right. we, um, yeah, so we. That's what I love to hear from my executives. <laughs> hired some really expensive people, um, mm-hmm. who I think. Oh, could, oh, maybe some of your, maybe some of your buddies. No, not, not even buddies. But we just found a guy who was like, so we okay as we began doing research on our team. Like, why are we so bad? We discovered we had a car designer who doesn't know how to design cars. <laughs> ah, you know, That'll it'll always you. get you. <laughs> yeah, gas in the tank. So our architect. We're like, we got to get this guy out of here. Like he can't design cars and we're spending a million dollars a race to develop next year's car. We can't have this. So we hired a really awesome designer um, who will be able to design better parts, uh, design a better car. Only problem is he's like three times expensive, but so we can't technically afford him. But my position is, can we afford not to have him? (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, so, that's where Motorsport <laughs> Mondays is at. We might be. I was like, Kato and I were sort of joking, like, you know, we need to figure so out. So anyway, says the executive as 100 people are laid off. Oh, we're like, Christ. we just replaced one guy. Yeah. Also, that guy got. What was it? Like a million dollars? No, no. Uh, so he didn't. I don't think he got much severance, actually. I think he got like <laughs> severance and it was like, nothing. no, no. No, Wasn't he didn't have like a driver thing? contract. No, we, like pull, like look at the vod for when we did that. Uh, like when no, firing that guy him? was cheap. Oh shit! 
Oh, you know why he had a bad rip, contract? Rip he's a bad guy. designer. He had no, he had no market power. Like, His numbers were going down. It was just true. It's bad, bad yeah. stats. So we we shit canned him, uh, <laughs> and now we have a really expensive guy. Um, but it'll be great, and if we can survive till next year. That'll be awesome. But Kato and I were joking, like you know how 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 much of a run do we want to give Motorsports Manager? Um, you know what's a good what's a good stopping point? Right? I was trying to find good stopping points for for a stream like when is a story complete and i was thinking well you know theoretically motorsports manager is endless it can go on for years i don't think that's going to be a problem here. <laughs> i think i think i think our chairman's making that decision for us maybe. i think the story is ending soon because <laughs> uh, we 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 had some bad results uh but we did make one decision that's gonna i think say really pay some dividends maybe save our team mm. um we benched the the kid who was supposed to be a good driver just wasn't getting it done. Benched him and we're running the rich kid whose connections to wealthy sponsors means that we get extra money for giving him a job. Oh uh, my God. And he so wasn't, team, he wasn't getting driven. And then one day we get an email. Hey, if y'all let me drive half we'll a million dollars, half a million per dollars race. per race. You know, <laughs> This is this is this is kind of teaching me a lot. And sometimes sometimes folks, you know, I, I think a lot about managers and management. Um, you know, as uh, I've had a lot of different relationships with my managers uh in my in my time in my short time working. Uh and sometimes you learn that your manager uh is great at the kind of management that you particularly need and interesting at the kind of management required to run an to run an f1 team for a significant i really expected i would have it on lock you know i really thought you know what actually i think the problem is the game's not realistic enough (laughs) because i just know too much about racing Mm, and so too much he's too smart yeah the things that would work in real racing aren't working here Uh Mm -hmm. uh but i can't get them out of my head because you know I need to know about real racing. That's 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 a job for me. That's an obligation. Real, real Rob the real racer. Yeah, real exactly. Racing Rob, mm-hmm. uh, is there is there any chance that the reason those things work in real racing is because of other outside of the simulation type deals happening? Uh, maybe and yes, <laughs> but also let's be like honestly. I feel like the other teams maybe. So the thing they do in Motorsport Manager is they give you just enough dodgy information to force you to make some really interesting like gut level calls right like Mm -hmm. the fuel gauge is like no team in f1 has as much of an error bar (laughs) around fuel (laughs) consumption as we do like there is no like there are parts of motorsport manager that one can say the simulation is vibes based and love to vibe things should be (laughs) love to vibe around gasoline Right. So that that's that's where that's where you come down to it uh is that like motorsport manager leaves enough like doubt in the simulation to make things interesting and I would say we've had a very interesting uh time playing mm-hmm, motorsport mm-hmm. manager. Uh so yeah, uh I guess you know if you haven't given it a shot uh check out the vods on Twitch or maybe they've made their one on YouTube uh by now. Uh but if you want to see these live, you may be running out of time because <laughs> I'm not sure how many more of these we're going to be allowed to have. This next the game race, might fire us. The next, the next race, we got the, we got the, we got the good guy driving. Yeah. The kid is on the bench. 
The kid is on the bench. The the rich kid is in the car. He's gonna make us money. We got a better the chairman. Sponsor. Will love us making money. We got that new spoiler. Yeah, you know, got I that mean, new it's, fin on our car, which apparently yeah. is very important. It's a very important fin. So uh, that's that's what I guess that's what I've been playing uh, lately. That's what we've been super uh, into. Um, Ren, you've been playing a bit of Monster Hunter, correct? Yes, I have been playing the new Monster Hunter expansion, uh, Sunbreak. I do want to note one thing kind yeah. of about uh, not related to Monster Hunter that I just need people to kind of let people in on as to the yeah. as to the vibes of this podcast. I have forgotten to pause uh, the long play of NRA Gun Club. So throughout this conversation, <laughs> I have just been hearing intermittent pistol and rifle shots and then the dings of a little target uh, and then an occasional horn. Uh, so I hope how whoever made that long play is doing really good. You didn't get to the um, clay pigeon part where the guy's like smoked it. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Because uh, they re- they really start putting in some character. No, that's work. the that's the mask, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rob. I can Somebody see how you confuse NRA me. Gun Club with the ra- <laughs> with the mask. Uh, it happens pretty frequently. Um, mm-hmm. It's a real wacky mix-up. Smoke it. I mean, listen, I just think that they should not have put that 45 caliber handgun in the mask and then maybe people wouldn't be confused. That's how, that's how Chris Kyle well, died. I, I believe the original comics are like horrifically violent and not cartoonish in the way that that film ultimately became. <laughs> God. Um, but yeah, I've been playing Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. Um, it is the Master Rank expansion uh, for this, uh, for Monster Hunter Rise. Are y'all familiar with the, like, basically the... Uh, way that monster hunter games are released digitally okay so the in, in boxes no we all we all, we all basically started playing monster hunter with world right. and then none of us played really played the the icebreaker okay. or whatever the the ice theme <laughs> sorry i was trying to take it uh, did i was i convincing did i sound like i, I definitely Rob, you did so good and i'm so proud of you um so basically the way that monster hunter games have been released for a very long period of time is that you will have two releases uh, of a given game you will have the first release which covers um low rank through high rank and then you will have a re-release that adds a bunch of new monsters usually a couple of new weapons uh, and also adds what's called master rank master rank is the or master rank or g rank um master rank and g rank are the highest levels of play in monster hunter uh, and basically everything's way stronger. Uh, attack patterns are way more complex. Monsters will punish you for things that you would be... The AI is a lot better. So a thing that I've been told about later Sunbreak is that they added a mechanic in Monster Hunter Rise where you can you have a little bug, you have a little grappling hook bug mm-hmm. that you can pull yourself towards. Very fun. Right. So a thing you can do in Monster Hunter Rise is if a monster hits you and you get fucking flung through the air, big monster, a lot of muscle, a lot of bone, you go flying. <laughs> what you can do is you can use your little grappling hook to basically recover midair. So you don't have to like hit the ground and roll around like a doofus. Instead, you can just like take control of the situation and keep going. The thing is that in Master Rank, um, in high and low rank, monsters would be cool with you doing this, and they'd be like, "Yeah, sure, buddy. You can kind of just you could you could pull yourself you, out whoa, of this you, situation. You're doing, a, you're doing a flip over there. That's neat. Oh, shit, oh that's really me. cool. Oh, hell yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. It's me, Rathalos. <laughs> it's me, the Lord of Fire, Rathalos. <laughs> 
Rathalos does sound like a punk. I have poison claws and a big tail. Watch out for my tail. Um, yeah. <laughs> Stupid. Um, right, so master rank monsters are not letting me do that. Uh, if you try and fly away at the wrong time, they will bat your ass out of the air so quick, they will obliterate you. They oh. will They will volleyball spike your body into the ground. <laughs> it is It is heinous. Uh, the new expansion... Um, also added uh, a new hub area, uh, which is like a, a more like European. It's like kind of French-ish kingdom. And and now, folks, here's the thing that's the most important part about this. They did add a really pretty lady who joins mm. you on hunts. Uh, uh, they added a really pretty lady uh-huh. with a straight sword and shield uh, who fights in a really cool way. And she kind of joins you on hunts now, which is actually... Um, pretty new for the series having NPCs who help you, like actual NPC hunters. Right. Um, that is At that most is you would get a fun this. cat, and a right, dog. you had a fun cat and a dog. Um, that, yes, Kata, sorry, I did not mean to just read. No, no, that, that was it. Um, I was just gonna say, yeah, like the the most of of NPCs that you would have with you, and like they wouldn't, they don't really like the cat. Kind of almost fights somewhat like a hunter. Like there's mm-hmm. not as good, but like. There's some parallels to how hunters fight and how the palicos fight, mm-hmm. but well, actually, yeah. In the the in the last 3ds game, uh, there was a there was a secret tent. There was an extra weapon, oh. and that weapon was you just play as your cat. What? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you could just play as the cat. Um, oh. uh, and also, the cat was the strongest DPS weapon in the entire game. The cat has oh, the highest the DPS up. potential. That's, I'm not that's lying. Amazing. It's true. That's amazing. <laughs> The cat has stupid damage output if you build them right. Um, and so, yeah, this expansion takes place in like weird fantasy France. It adds two new maps, the jungle map, uh, and I, I forget, what, I don't remember what the other one is. I haven't, I don't actually haven't seen it yet. Uh, but the jungle map's really cool. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm really liking it so far. Uh, the problem is that when you start, uh, the new campaign or a new expansion of a Monster Hunter game, you, you kind of have to take out the trash again. Uh, and that is not my favorite thing on earth. I really don't need to be fighting a big fucked up bunny who moves around a lot and isn't hard to fight, but is kind of just fucking irritating. Mm. I don't want to do that again. I already did that in low rank. Mm. I already, I already put in, put in those hours yeah. uh and you have to do it again for master rank because Gross. high rank gear is not good in master rank it will it will fail you pretty quickly um master rank is kind of where that's where the real monster hunter begins Jesus, uh, Jesus how many wow. hours right, well, of uh, game is there you're gonna until- get the track miss you off the, the ep <laughs> pale machine um you can follow our work at uh so 50, 50 hours in, probably sixty. Yeah, that seems right. Because um, you have to get through the majority of hub quests, right. uh, which is where the story of the game ends. Uh, is in is in the hub. But yeah, it's been it's been many, good so far. How many times oh, did yeah, that story end? By the way, because I remember it ending very early for me once. <laughs> I was like, "There's another. There's more. There's yeah. more to this." Yeah, it ends like, wasn't, yeah, wasn't originally that game didn't like have its real ending that was patched. Yes, correct. That came in an update. Yes. a little bit after the original game. <laughs> correct. Corrected to do this, it, it Monster mm-hmm. Hunter Rise very. I mean, much, whatever stories, endings in these games, like who, like that's not what you're here for, <laughs> right? Monster Hunter Rise is uh, the running suspicion that people have is that Monster Hunter Rise, and this is not a hard uh, uh, thought to make or hard uh, uh, thing to believe, 
Monster Hunter Rise is kind of getting the put on the back burner for all Monster Hunter World 2, uh, which they are devoting tons of resources to, uh, to the arguable detriment of post-release Monster Hunter Rise. Um, but yeah, the, they added a couple of new monsters. They added, uh, do you remember Oragaron, uh, from the, uh, Rise, uh, the dog with all the claws and the meat? Mm, yeah, meat dog. Meat dog? Do you remember meat from, dog? From World, yeah. The red one. You remember? Oh, shout out to meat oh, dog. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I do. Okay, yes, I remember. Yeah. Meat dog. Uh, Meat Dog uh, has a brother now called Lunagaddon, uh, which oh, is... congratulations. I know. It's, I'm really proud. Um, Lunagaddon, who is... Wait, you're really pr- proud? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm really wait, proud. What's your relationship <laughs> to the Meat Dog? <laughs> the meat dog? <laughs> Love the Meat Dog. Friend and colleague. Like, are, you, are, you, are you accepting the congratulations? Brent is humbled by Meat Dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would... I'm trying to figure out what's... <laughs> I, I would consider... I would consider Meat Dog kind of a colleague, you know? In the, in the hunter... In the hunter-monster relationship, it is, in a complicated mm. way, a co-working relationship, right? They do... Uh, I am day, carving you up in, for resources, but you know what? This is a codependent relationship. Exactly. We got to clock in. Listen, buddy. Listen, buddy. I know I, I know I got your ass last week, but... Sorry, you got to... You got... We we gotta hit forty this week. Come on, I, I kicked your ass in eighteen hours last time. <laughs> uh, Thirty two to go. You are not a salaried employee, Oda Gadon. You are. <laughs> this is a wage unionized. Yeah. <laughs> they did. That is the plot of Monster Hunter Rise: is that the monsters are unionizing, yeah. and rampaging and attacking your village. Um, and so uh the basic premise of the of the new expansion is that uh this <laughs> when other monsters kingdom monsters unionize they do so against the public interest. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> they unionize as monsters. The uh the monsters um are really mad because they're really another place is getting real fucked up. And so this game is about handling invasive species. Uh, as basically they're like, yeah, so we're going to get a bunch of invasive species and it's going to fuck up our ecosystem even more than the last thing that fucked up our ecosystem. So you got to go over there and the French you got to go here. help. You got to help this pretty French lady. You have to go kill a dragon with this pretty French lady. I'm sorry. We don't make the rules. And I'm going, no, no, don't make me kill a dragon with a pretty French lady. How? You know, no, I've often thought I would, before I sunrise needed more dragon fights. <laughs> yeah. Boo. Yeah. Jesus Christ. But yeah, uh, they added a couple new uh, Elder Dragons, not as many as I would have liked, um, which is a bummer. Elder Dragons are basically the like most complicated, most endgame monsters in the series. Uh, and they've only added a couple, but they did uh, they did add in an, uh, a title update beforehand, Valstrax. And I will only tell you about Valstrax because I think that it is a very funny dragon. Uh, and I kind of want to get y'all's vibe on Valstrax real quick. <laughs> We've been, we've been talking about things that go fast, right? We've been talking yeah. about F1 cars. We've been talking about vehicles, right, 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 right. Uh, how do you feel about this? Let me just find another JPEG. Excuse me? Let me just find Is another JPEG. Is that dragon on fire? No. <laughs> <That's> how- <laughs> it has jet. It, it has, like, vector thrust <laughs> on, on its, its wings. wings. What are you going what is that? That is the fastest and coolest dragon ever made. <laughs> uh, Ren, you got a question about vibes. Uh, 
immaculate <laughs> would be my verdict. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Patrick, how do you feel about the jet plane dragon? Uh, first class, please. <laughs> Ooh. Valstrax was introduced in uh, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate as the like signature monster there, and I and I love this stupid dragon so fucking much. It, they literally attached a rocket to a dragon, and so I'm really excited to um, get to the point in Master Rank. You can fight it in High Rank, but I'm just skipping it to fight the Master Rank version uh, <laughs> to fight Crimson Valstrax, who is a dragon who they hooked a bunch of rockets to. Amazing. Um, well, I mean, uh, monsters uh, in Monster Hunter are are man made, as we all know. Right, right. Just, Rob, uh, is Rob's that just the dra- lit Is that up. all of the dragons? All the all the wyverns. One sec. Um, <laughs> are the beasts also part of that? Or is it just the wyverns? So um, I thought it was the. I thought I my 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 brain associated that lore piece with elder dragons, but I never looked into it really hard. So, uh, Rob, I'd like you to meet the the equal dragon weapon, uh, which was an art yeah, per the it's wiki. Very and, tiny. And this is a bad picture. Let me find if see if I can find a better uh, JPEG of the equal dragon weapon. <laughs> uh, basically. Uh, da, 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 da. Ah, this is no. I need to find a good a good JPEG. Um, but basically, yeah, there's a there's a there's a, a lore note in Monster Hunter that the first dragons were made by people getting such advanced technology that they were able to bioengineer dragons. And let me tell y'all, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that was a mistake. Uh, and so all Monster Hunter characters are genetically engineered super soldiers, uh, are basically the descendants of genetically engineered super soldiers, which is how they can wield massive weapons uh, against these dragons, which are descended mm-hmm. from bio from engineered bio weapons. It also and like so basi- halfway mm-hmm. explains some of the armor and uh, uh, not armor, some of the weapons that have like rockets and shit on them, which are a little bit more advanced than mo- the rest of the like sword and board like medieval knights almost ass like weaponry mm-hmm. it's like oh why is it what is the great what is it the great sword or something has a fucking rocket on it like usually like yeah uh, yeah. yeah things like that <laughs> yeah it's because uh, basically monster hunter takes place in a world where people got really good at biology as opposed <laughs> to getting really good at engineering <laughs> Uh, and made a bunch of fucked up meat monsters that kind of put them back in the Stone Age, but everyone was like, no, 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 it's fine, we're back here, this shit's sick, you see these things. So there's there's some Monster Hunter lore facts for you. Um, uh uh to intro- to kind of get people invested in the in the narrative twists and turns <laughs> of Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. There's an abyss, there's a crater. Monsters are really interested in oh, that crater. Man. Just imagine the wyverns that you could have hanging out in that crater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never seen a crater in a Japanese video game before. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> just, it's a breaking. Well, I mean, that's you, you break new ground. You do get a crater. Uh, well, let me know when when uh, they make a game about managing the, the bioengineering of the monsters and maybe making them fight. That might be my speed. Just making them fu- managing the monsters fighting yeah making the best monsters possible that's that's i think I, oh my god that's my speed rob there is oh no we can't go down this path 
Well, like Kaiju Pokemon is what you're saying. Like, let's just make a team of Kaiju and yeah, but like get them in, get them fighting. Yeah, but like also like specking the specking them out and like you know developing them. Like maybe a good training camp for Kaiju would be cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, like you got a high draft pick Kaiju, but then you teach them some like better fundamentals, <laughs> and like suddenly it's like whoa. That's like a generational kaiju. That'll really mm-hmm. obliterate some civilizations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, the problem is that every once in a while you will have a a kaiju that just shows up to open tryouts and kind of just blows everyone away. That's true. Um, and <laughs> That's you know, true. do those do those kaiju really last? Do they do they have the staying power of the draft pick kaiju? No, but like they kind of show people what's possible and they kind of become cultural touchstones as opposed to like real long term consistent most valuable kaiju. Um it's and good to I see mean, them on the field. Walk on uh, kaiju are the most memorable. Like people exactly. talk about like when a kaiju showed up oh my just God. out of nowhere. You have to, people just stop, remember. Just stop, just stop the metaphor, please, Scott. <laughs> just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> all right fine kata all right okay and the fuck a podcast apparently yeah i guess i guess we're, we're done here <laughs> why'd you say uh, my name what? mr no yeah, fun wants us to end the podcast you well i saw look i saw the next topic is neon white and i just associate you with it oh, but okay, you're yeah. right mm-hmm. uh no i'm sorry let me let me walk that back okay patrick <laughs> let's move on to your yeah, topic yeah, well, the, la- the last time you got upset at me, it really worked out well for everybody. Got a good track record on that one, Rob. <laughs> I still say God. you could have been less sketch. If you, just, <laughs> if, if, you know what? If you had just responded to my aggression with a bit more like... With what? With persuasion. What? Any attempt at Pers- all. Not a chance. As someone who... As someone who didn't participate in that game and watched it, who watched all of your fucking mugs from from the from the from the producers booth, Rob, there was no fucking convincing you. You were you were set. Rob, Patrick Patrick could have literally tested his real world blood in front of you, and I feel like you would have been like, no, no, mm-mm, no. It's he's, he's figured out some trick. He's figured out some way. <laughs> Well, yeah, but you know, if Kato hadn't made that bad draw, that was so catastrophic. That <laughs> oh only a traitor would have done it. Anyway, the point is, uh, you know what? Um, I am blameless. I did my best. Uh, mm-hmm. Patrick, we all tell us of your journey through Neon White. Uh, well, I, I so I've, I finished the first two like missions, which we I think we stated before, wow. like sets of like ten. So you play like twenty um, hours. I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> no, like eight or eight or nine. Jesus so I, like I, I set, I basically, if, once I hit the ACE medal, I will try one or two times more to like, if I can get Ren, basically, if I can get slotted under you, I consider that like, I'm good. Like <laughs> that is. Am I your barometer? Yeah. You're like my skill ceiling, right? Like, uh, like Joel Fowler, who, you know, our, we've mentioned our old site manager. He's just. So, no, like, I'm, just, I'm not that going. man and his fucking wild. Well, it's, it's his game. It's his game, right? Like yeah. some people, a game yeah. clicks for them, and like th- that he's is it. Like I'm just, he's in the I'm zone. not gonna have. Yeah, like <laughs> when I when I have a run that like feels like I did, I I nailed every little bit, and I'm playing on a on, on a Steam Deck, so I'm like, it, it, I have to dock my, you have to dock yourself a little bit because you just have sort of a, 
it would right. be easier to pull off a lot of things, especially if it, it involves precise aiming. It's right. so much harder to do it on Steam Deck. But like, if I have a run where I feel like, yes, like nailed it, feel good, and that slots me like, like right under Ren, or like a couple of times I've gotten a, I've gotten above her. I'm like, that's good. Like that, that's I feel deeply satisfied with this this area, and then I will I will move on on to the next one. Um. So yeah. So I finished. Although now I'm past you, Ren. So now I have I need like a new marker. Like I'm in the third mission, and like your name doesn't come up anymore. And so oh, I can just do it. Yeah, you can get back to playing neon white. So I, yeah, so I, so I can. I'm not going to play it much this. Yeah, I'm not going to play it much this weekend because the the holiday and my kids. But like, if by the time I get back to it on like Monday, if like you could have some, if you could put in some some work, so some runs are there. Sure. uh, So I have to figure out a new person to consider my skill ceiling. I would I would appreciate it. But (laughs) can I can I give a metric real quick? I want you to guess how much time I've put into neon white. Mm, I don't know. Four uh, four hours? One hundred and eight minutes. <laughs> okay, you're gonna say hours. All right. So <laughs> no, no, the That's most less of, than two. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is less than an hour and a half. Are you doing any of the visual novel stuff? Or are you just yeah. okay? I mean, I guess they're short, right? You get a gift, you get like six lines of dialogue and then you, you move on to the yeah, next no thing. i'm doing i've done all the side quests too i'm doing all the side quests all the visual the side quests stuff. are great oh they're i really shout the side quests. so, so cool in in each level of dan white um you know there are these medals you can get uh and then there's also a gift you can find the gifts are then used to unlock new dialogue with different characters in the hub area and as you progress through there's a hub like area? the gift the gifts fill up a level and like as the levels progress, you get different rewards. So it's like sometimes it's a dialogue tree, uh, or like not a tree. You don't get choices in this game, um, but there's additional dialogue. And then sometimes you it's called the side quest. And these side quests have different; they function differently than the normal missions <clears throat> in Neon White. Uh, one of them you can't use the discard ability. So for example, there's in in Neon White there's a pistol. It's the yellow card. And if you fire that, it's a slow pistol that can attack enemies uh, or do other things in the environment. And if you jump and use the discard button, then that provides you with a double jump basically. It kind of shoots you into the air. Um like the sniper rifle card uh which is uh, purple, right? Purple or blue. Uh it's a sniper shot and then also if you if you discard it, it shoots you forward like a rocket, like uh straight ahead. Um and so there's a mission where you have all those cards, they are the guns, but you can't use any of those movement abilities by discarding them. So you have to kind of think about the mission or the layout completely differently. There's another one where uh, it's all platform based. So it's like you're guiding through like just waves of really weird spikes and using the platform mechanics like stretched out to the extreme and not using any uh, guns, uh, whatsoever, or or the most what you're using is it to to get through like these glass panes so you can get to the next section of uh, platforming. It like really really emphasizes in those speed is less important than it is sort of like precision and understanding the 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 physics of the first person jumping, and it really underscores how well done it is. Like the fact that first person platforming is an extremely difficult to pull off. <clears throat> We've had two good examples of it in the last couple of years. I think Boomerang X is like a like high watermark in what it feels like to platform in first person or to like deal with momentum. Um, and I think Neon White is a is a pretty close second and it is playing in similar spaces. Um, so I found all that stuff to be really, really uh, good. I also I've sent some questions to the uh, designer of Neon White and I'm curious what comes back. I haven't gotten it, the answers yet, but I am just 
I want to know how they land on the metals. Like, what is the time? What is considered the ideal time? Like, halfway, when you're completing a level, eventually you unlock a, a little marker that tells you, hey, if you jump here, like, this is, this will take, this is essentially, if you run the, the a level straight, and you do it, like, straight through how it's guideposting you, and you do that to the best of your ability, all you're going to get is a gold medal. Like, you have to do something different and off the beaten track to get the the highest ace medal. And what you unlock over the course of a, a stage by like doing it multiple times is there's like a little icon that appears and it's just, it just hovers in the air. Sometimes it's very obvious what to do. It's like, Oh, you can sequence break and you can jump across this cavern and that's going to shave off the four seconds you desperately need to get the, 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 the ACE medal. Uh, or in other times it'll just be floating there and you're like, I don't know what the hell that means. And then that becomes kind of a puzzle to figure that out. But I'm just so curious because that's a choice, right? Is like, Mm-hmm. This is the path that we're going to put in for the player that is considered the shortcut. This is the the speeds at which we have determined are ace, gold, silver, and bronze. I just find that stuff really fascinating because it's is it's it's its own design decision that is not created by. Uh, I guess Rob, maybe you would have some like. Where do you get the feeling like this is in racing games, right? Like I I'm I'm experiencing something that you frequently see more in like racing style games. Do you have any sense of like how they determine? Stuff like that, like what are averages for players and like what we consider like good, bad, worse? Yeah, I mean, it's like I think a lot of racing games, one thing that so there's kind of a weird thing where one, you want your best players to converge roughly on the real world times that exist for like that class of car um, on a given track. So like there is a real world benchmark that exists uh, and then difficulty levels often like basically like put handicaps on uh, AI drivers, for instance, to sort of see like to, to basically make it so that the whole field slows down to whatever your level is. Uh, but like they have, they have a referent uh, like, like that, that they, that they sort of rely on uh, for, for these things. And that's sort of your first attempt that you sort of try to bring the game into line with that. Um, beyond that though, like I think it's kind of, I don't know how they arrive at it. And sometimes uh, it is like, so I'll, I'll bring this up because it's on my mind. Um, like Gran Turismo seven has like the, the bronze, silver and gold times for like, you know, if you are learning a track, right. There's the gold standard for, if you like nailed that perfectly, I cannot imagine being good enough at that game in my life to like gold every track or every section. Right. I just like, I try to imagine who is doing it. And all I can think is like basically people with like near pro skills Mm -hmm. because like, even like people who play racing games serious, they're like silver is like the, the sound barrier they hit. They get, they, they, they do silver. They, they refine their approach, but like the gold times that the game sets (laughs) silver is your gold. It's like, that is the best I'm going to do. And I actually feel good about that. Because the gold, like the bar they set for like the like nailed it, like no, no notes, uh, you, you've maxed out what's possible here. I cannot uh, fathom the people who are able to do it uh, because you will you will have the best like lap of your life. And you won't even be close. It'll just, <laughs> it'll just be like, nope, didn't even. Uh, so, you know how like you were right on the edge of like what you view as like conceivable uh you need to find a half second uh somewhere in that lap uh that, that you just lost and you're like no i won't uh <laughs> and you move on with your life so yeah i'd like i 
I wonder at this myself. And I, I think some of it depends on just how brutal does the developer want to be? Like how, yeah. how, like how much do they want to set a bar that will just mock you? My guess is that what what probably happens is everyone has a as a every dev I'm sure has a friend who's just a little freak and they're like all right we got to call the little freak in to figure out what their time is and then add like 5 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean you got to believe like in playtesting they have a huge data set that they come mm. away with. Yes. And yes. so maybe you do just like who are the best people we have observed. Right. And you set the 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 gold standard somewhere around there. And then everywhere else, you're just like, and what will make people feel good about themselves, but also like motivate them to try better, try more. Yeah. What? It's yeah. Just so fat. Oh, go ahead, Ron. I was going to say, and sometimes the way you motivate your uh, colleagues to try more is mentioning that you beat some of their times on a podcast. And mm-hmm. that colleague uh, takes like three seconds to quickly uh, beat all of those <laughs> times. <laughs> just real quick. Well, I just know I can't ask Otto to do that. So I, I, I pick my colleagues. <laughs> specifically like I, there's a pecking <gasps> that's so order. true that's so true that's so true patrick uh but it is it, it, like the placement of like leaderboards don't usually do much for me like i've mentioned like high score mm-hmm. stuff doesn't mm-hmm. usually but it's there's something about the leaderboard in neon white that i i think it's because it's achievable right yeah. so like what you're talking yep. about rob this where, is the thing fucking me up yeah like the how- goal like the gold you're talking about in like a Gran Turismo where the community sort of like creates essentially a new version of what the gold medal is for themselves. Like I would find that really dispiriting. Maybe like if you love those games and you just, you just learn to accept that, but frequently things barriers like that put me off wanting to try that stuff at all because it's like, well, what's the, what's the point? They put it so far out of reach that um, it doesn't, it doesn't seem interesting. It's not, it's not a carrot for me anymore. And I think what mm-hmm. Neon White does so it, interestingly is like there actually are the game has four medals right like it's bronze silver gold ace but it's actually five because the fifth one is the leaderboard right like the fifth one is like who is the highest not a global leaderboard because that's just unfair you're gonna get people who could be cheating you're gonna get people who are just like so well beyond your abilities it's not even worth conceiving but then when it's your friends it's different right and like and then especially as you start to play more of those levels what's so fascinating playing level to level is like the leaderboard ends up telling a story as you are spending more and more time with that leaderboard with the same because you're usually seeing the same sorts of people especially as neon white's popular but not too popular so it's i'm seeing essentially the same groupings of five to ten people every single time i'm going to the next level and then there'll be times where someone who like like uh will smith for example like he is always in like the top three on on my leaderboard and then there'll be one where like it's, he's just at the bottom. And I wonder, like, is this something about, uh, was this like a level he just, it's very easy to skip to the next one by accident. And then you have to kind of go back. Cause like, and then I start wondering about the story of their run is like, or is it that, uh, oh, this one was like way more platform based. And like, I'm just really good at that shit. And like, so I, some of my own natural tendencies allowed me to shave seconds off that maybe will can't um or like he has children and like he had to set it down and didn't get a chance to go back to that one i don't know but i it's one of the few times i have found something a leaderboard to be really captivating and almost beyond i think like the narrative in neon white is 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 fine like the 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 writing is funny but like the story itself is not really capturing me one way or the other but the stories i'm telling myself about the other players that i'm playing against invisibly i have found to be like utterly captivating in a way that 
most games don't ever grab me, mm-hmm. even if they have those things present. Mm-hmm. Good video game. Mm-hmm. Y'all mm-hmm. see the fucking mm-hmm. wild movement tech that people have found? I did see. We should read. Do you have that pulled up? Yeah. Kato, we should just Let me see read. this. It'll it'll it, it'll at least make sense to Rob. Um, this one is this the one that are we talking about the same thing? This is I think so. I saw yeah, yeah. I saw it quoted on. Oh, is this an official document? I don't think so. No, written by Shovel Claw. Okay, yeah, this is just this is a community thing. thing. They just have yeah. I'll, here, I'll, uh, do you want to read some of these? Kato, pick pick your pick your favorite. My favorite. Well, my favorite is the one that uh, I think is the most interesting. In this game, so it's just to lay the groundwork in case people haven't touched this game, uh, there's basically, you know, some, uh, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, building, like little stairs, floors, whatever, made out of marble. And then there's like a, a like watery floor to all the levels. A lot of waterways. Like there's also waterways water. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Being on the water is the fastest way to, to, to move in this game. So you want to be on the mm-hmm. water as much as possible, apparently, until I learned this. <laughs> <laughs> being above the ground but in water is faster than running in water uh which includes this video um here i'll link this for y'all as well so you can watch really quickly i'm watching it uh, i'm already watching it yeah it so if if you can find spaces where there's a ceiling above some water who boy you can really get some fucking speed uh and it's just like, who, why? Why? It seems intentional. I don't think it's a bug of some sort. It feels like they made this. Why did you make this decision? It's a fun decision. I'm sure there's fun fucking tech. So basically you've jumped, but water is below you. So you're moving faster than if you just stood on the and kept running on the water. But, but if you have like a tunnel, you'd be kept in that sweet spot. Where yeah. You get like the speedboat. Yes. Yeah. Boost. It's Crap. amazing. And I'm like, I haven't noticed how many other times like this, this level's, I think that the third level, the third, like is it um, the first level. Was that the first? I thought it was the third. This is the first level of the video game. <laughs> uh, that one has it, and I think I don't know. I haven't actually. I've only. I'm only like what three after this. Bullet or boosting, shooting, meleeing. Any uh-huh. bullet will give you a small speed. Yep. Uh, speed boost. This is called bullet boosting. It is vital to save time at a top level. Bullet boost also stacks. Easiest. Like this isn't a game with like a parry <laughs> mechanic. Well, but it is. <laughs> like, it is. Yes, it is. Meleeing most bullets will parry them into enemies, killing them. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> You you literally parry the bullets. Do they explain that later in the game? Maybe like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think Maybe. I don't think it ever explicitly states it because they like they're just going to give you guns. It is a high level tech, and so they feel like they just don't explain it because it's for high level freaks. It's yeah. it's really interesting how um, I'd be curious how much of this is intentional versus just like a consequence. You know, it's like interesting to watch the like just Google like Celeste speedrunning, and there's a I've I've actually written a couple. I actually wrote a piece about this, um, which is basically I interviewed um, the designer about like, how do you, when communities find quirks in the game that become part of speedrunning, how as a designer do you differentiate between a glitch and canon? Yeah. Right? And so, uh, so yeah, how Celeste found success in embracing speedrunners who broke the game. And it was basically... Like designers trying to figure out what is an exploit and what is just the community having built a tool for themselves to play the game differently. Um, and I think that's such an interesting 
Yeah. Because, you know, now that games are live, like even a game like Celeste or Neon White, like it's patched, it's updated. It's not just the game is the game. And so then designers have to make calls yeah. on, is this something that's materially impacting the, the player's ability to play? Or is this like leave well enough alone? Um, I don't believe there was any form of like time leaderboards in Celeste. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't play it enough to unlock that if that exists. Uh, it's been it's been years since I've played it. I don't not, not certainly nothing that is like super <laughs> there's not a counter on the screen right, while right. you're playing the game in the way that Neon White does. And then I mean, but Celeste... so like that complicates that question too when it's like, oh, are people exploiting something and getting to the top of a leaderboard that other people are trying to vie for times? Right. Like do you change that if like the exploit has like put someone at the very top? Like then, right. no one else can like catch up to them after the fact. Do you remove that thing? Like all sorts of different questions. When it yeah, when speed when speedrunning tech starts yeah. breaking the global leaderboard to be not <laughs> reflective of whatever you consider the average. You know what I mean? Right. Like that 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 itself is a really yeah. But I think that's why the friend leaderboard exists, right? Is like, look at the end <laughs> yes. of the day, you're, you're it's going to be hard to know what is cheating and what is genuine play, and in some ways. To an average player, speedrunning feels like cheating because uh, it's not something you can. Most people will be able to achieve. Uh, that kind of like splits the difference. But it is a really that's a really. God, oh, I should have asked that question. I think I might have to send yeah, a follow up because I think email. that's yeah. that's. I'm gonna have to send a follow up on that one. I would guess it's probably intentional. I mean, Celeste has has built in tech that the game doesn't tell you about that is only for speedrunners. Like modern yeah, platform developers are are if, doing this in or putting these things intentionally, and we'll we'll look at someone using speedrunning tech and be like, "Yeah, I'm glad y'all found that one." Yeah, but, but not always. Like, always a bunch of the Celeste yeah, ones yeah. are not that are not the not the not that case, right? So yeah, I think right. like, sometimes it does happen, but that is. It's like when it, it not when it when it is something that wasn't intended as tech, like right. what where does that line get drawn? Especially with the added, uh, the added like public leaderboards being a thing, a focus in the game, mm-hmm. adding that wrinkle to it, you know, adding that extra like think of like oh, in Celeste it might be easier to say fuck it, let people have their fun, and then the other one in Neon White, I feel like how much. How much? When there's a how much will they aspect. put? Yeah, when there's a competitive aspect that's public, how much will the developers want to keep that "quote unquote" pure to a certain set of rules that they've set up? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. the reality is that people are always going to find the most optimized and efficient way to do a thing. Right. That's that is how fighting games have become so freaky at this point. <laughs> yeah. Is that like what happened? What would happen was someone would make a design a video game, and then people would find this is like the story of melee, right? Smash Bros. Melee was defined by wave dashing. Wave dashing was a tech that speed that not speedrunners that uh, that that competitive players found that is now required to play the game. And I think that tons of games are going to just but that's be like, like a meta on a tournament level, as opposed. I mean, I guess that, that this is the distinction I'm drawing. Leaderboards like, are a tournament like a, level. A very kind of a specific context in which you would be like, if you're in a tournament, like you're you're accepting that I'm in high level play. Um, Right. And I think th- with these games that you have to do that too, right? Like you have to just be like, I either am in the high level play of actually caring about the main leaderboard or I'm not. Not mm. Patrick. No, Ren, <laughs> Ren, Ren, Ren is, my, is Ren high is my level leaderboard. play. It is. It is. Um, 
But now, now she's gonna start fucking with me. She's gonna start. Like, yeah, like, like, like I times. really, I wanted to, like, I almost wanted to call that off. I was like, stop, don't do, like, don't complete this thought because, she, like, she's gonna bury. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. But I did. I did find and it even, very Rob, funny I've been to open long the enough game. That I don't think. I don't during, think she's capable. I don't think she'd be capable of doing that. I think like she, she she's gonna play the level and she's gonna play it well. Like I'm confident of that. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna play a level bad just to fuck with Patrick mm-hmm. because like that's not that's not fun for me. I, there are much more fun ways to fuck with Patrick, mm-hmm. like that that don't that don't ruin my yeah, experience agreed. of a video game that agreed. I like. <laughs> I don't get and many. They always oppor- work out for people like Rob. Like just I don't make one hundred percent consistently. I don't get many record. opportunities to get his ass, but one of these. Times- <laughs> I'm ready. Gots to, <laughs> or hopefully not. Hopefully I'm not ready. I guess would be the point. Hey, um, so we should uh we should wrap up soon, but I want to read. We got some good news in the old email question bucket. <gasps> Yay. Huh. So there's kind of two emails about emails about this, both from the same person, because like the we 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 were, ch- we were chatting about Duelist, and you're like, man, remember Duelist? Yeah. That was oh, good yeah. times. So, uh, Keith writes in, uh, and uh, Thick Thike on the uh, on the Discord. Hello, pointy people. Y'all asked about Duelist on the most recent pod and is a longtime adorer and then mourner of that game. I'm happy to say there's some cause to hope. Two oh, wow. actually. Is that yeah. the first pointy? I've I, never heard it before. That's cute. I didn't like. I you don't like you it. You liked it. Cut I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> pointy mm. people. Twenty four hour pointy people. Uh, <laughs> the first thing to mention is the Duelist Revival Project, a fan team that signed an agreement with the original dev to use and profit from the assets IP of the original, and they're oh. aiming to have a fully featured Duelist two. It's been slow to manifest and pretty quiet overall, as most fan projects are, but it seems to be real. Uh, there have been a few invite-only tests, and nothing's public yet, but they claim to have an announcement this summer. There are also some design changes between the versions, but the core is supposed to be the same. Unfortunately, they don't have much publicly available. It's all in their Discord. Here's the link if you want to poke around. Uh, the link to uh, the, the Discord. While looking at... Uh, Slash Duelist to confirm the above on Reddit. I also learned that a few months ago, someone put up a free browser-based re-implementation of the original game a few months ago. I haven't had time mm-hmm. to poke around at it. And I'm not sure if it has all the cards yet, but it seems to be promising. You can find that at Duelist.gg. Uh, hope that brings him optimism about the prospects of the game. It was criminally underrated. The balance of card play to tactics was perfect, where I often felt my decks could punch above their weight by playing the board right. I love the feeling of being able to say, suck it, magic players. I play tactics, ogre, as I was entirely <laughs> on spacing. Uh, fuck capitalism for killing this game, among other sins. Fun bonus fact, a lead designer of Duelist is now the lead designer of Netrunner with Project Nisei. Oh, shit. But then developments happened. Oh, uh, time passed. And yeah. And so Keith wrote in again. Uh, hope this gets to you before pod. There was just an update on the Duelist 2 front, making part of my last email obsolete straight from their discord. Uh, we get a screenshot. I assume this is their admin. Hello, everyone. It's been a while since our last big announcement, but rest assured the Duelist 2 team has been hard at work. And today we have a ton of exciting stuff to share. We will be running a series of public networks network test weekends for Duelist 2 starting next month, 
29th July 2022. We'll make sure Duelist 2 can handle thousands of concurrent players. And to make sure it can, we need your help. Uh, everyone invited to take part in pl- uh, play from Friday to Sunday during each of the network tests. If these tests ah. go to plan, full beta launch should be coming this fall. Item two, CPG has provided us with the majority of the original Duelist source code. In addition to this, we oh also have God. a license permitting us to build Duelist 2 from it. Over the past couple of months, we've been working to prepare the original code base for deployment. This includes getting it working on servers, removing all Bandai Namco uh, integration, modernizing the code 2022 standards, fixing legacy bugs, implementing the Duelist 2 core set, and adding visual auditory polish. Uh, this is the version we'll be running for the network tests. Duelist 2 will be supporting on legacy mode. As a byproduct of having the source code, we also have every former Duelist expansion card ready to go. Well, our plan to launch Duelist 2 with a revamped core set and reworked expansion releases has not changed. We will be supporting a queue for the final patch of Duelist 1.96. Nice. Duelist lives. Amazing. Hey, Rob. I know what stream we're doing on July 29th, uh, Friday, <laughs> July 29th. I know what stream that Robert and I are doing. Yep. Uh, that is that that is very exciting news. That's that is uh, what a what a great time to get nostalgic for Duelist. Can you imagine how bummed you'd be if you got nostalgic for Duelist like last year and they'd be like, there's no hope. Now I was like, hey, remember Duelist? And the universe was like. Damn right, Boy, do we? <laughs> yeah, we, we don't just it. remember it. <laughs> uh, so we we brought it back. You're welcome. Uh, so what what can universe. Rob manifest next? He's got what was it? Uh, Duelist. The 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 routine. The routine. Who will was, rid me of these troublesome Supreme Court? What, justices? what can we? Come, what, what should we? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yes. No, yes. This is correct. This is oh correct. My God. This is the correct call. Good, Rob. Manifest harder. Legal. <sighs> Don't listen. Just asking questions. This defense yeah. works. This this defense works famously well. Uh, for. <laughs> Here's the thing. Rob never said I'm working on routine. I hope people make routine. Rob was like, oh man, I just really wish routine happened. I'm just Rob musing. never worked on routine. <laughs> yeah. On routine. Yeah. Rob is not working on Duelist Two. He simply wished for Duelist Two to be. <laughs> don't uh, finish the. Don't finish don't the third sentence. You <laughs> <laughs> cannot All say right. it. <laughs> Rob is <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, that will do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a wrap on today's episode of waypoint radio uh depending on who listens to this might be a wrap on the podcast forever uh, if you want more gotta leave it in though if you want more from waypoint you can follow us uh patrick do we find out do we have any updates on the um did we manifest an engagement by accident I, shit i've got no i've oh, got no response. shit oh no I could have read that better. I could, you know when what? Does a, when does a person listen to a podcast, right? Like, we don't, we don't, it's a how, you know, I, that's true. Do I wish oh, that I got a, good a, 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 a I, I wish I got a response? I am actually months behind on some of my podcasts, so who could yeah. say? Right. Oh, man. So, what if, like, what if Morgan's like, hey, well, let's get through that backlog? <laughs> right. Like, what if step one is like, oh, man, we should listen to the latest Waypoint Radio? And the answer is, oh, like, like, oh I'm three behind. behind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
But also, I'm like, what if? What if I just didn't like? I didn't need to bring up myself. I didn't need to talk about. I didn't need to build goop about Mina. I could have just kept the the lens. And you know what? It, Beautiful dark Mina would woman not have been the problem there. Yeah, but saying that the, the the text should have been punched up was kind of like I. I <laughs> That's just the editor or the manhunting you... plug, Rob. When you plug <laughs> your show, <laughs> I mean that during mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Well, hold on. I was I, I was plugging a Waypoint Plus product. Clearly, I think they were probably more of AMCA, maybe Shift F1 <laughs> listener. Who knows? Maybe wow. please ahead. But wow, uh, fill out this survey. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. New new couple. Let us know which Rob product. Oh, if you're listening uh, to those, you don't know what those are. Uh, Shift F1 is a formula <laughs> racing podcast god, yeah, yeah, I do yeah, with okay. Dan. Hey, Patrick, do you have anything to plug? Patrick, you got uh, anything to plug? You got any? You got any side I projects? Don't. I uh, my I don't have any side projects. I got to work on that. Uh, people can't give you money for till death. Not I'm not going to ask people to give me money when I the seasons are two death. and a half years apart. When, no, when don't cho- do. Just be utterly the, no. Take that money. <laughs> take it. We take it at patreon.com slash shift of one and you publish things. Yeah, you actually make occasionally regular. Those are yeah, two true. shows that come out. Yeah. The next couple of years, my children, you know, my, my oldest is almost six fairly soon. She's not going to like me anymore. And, uh, I That's will have, true. I will have time in front of me. I, I've wanted to write a book. I've turned down books. Cause I, I don't have time, but I will eventually, be disliked by my children, and then there we go. Fill the, fill the emotional I void in my life with Patreons. It's working out for Rob. You know, I also I want to know uh, that Patrick going. I'll write a book in response to his kids no longer liking him mm-hmm. is possibly the most dad response to that problem <laughs> I can imagine. I should finally write the next great American novel now that well, Billy I'm not won't talk to me. I don't know how to do. I don't know how to do that. I'm so that I cannot promise that. But would you like a couple chapters about video games? Do you maybe? like Do you like books about people getting really obsessed with a uh, slightly oh, out the there video up. game? Get out. All right, take us out. Take uh, us Patrick out. Patrick Peoples, uh, a study in obsession and hope by Patrick Klopek. Uh, <laughs> a study in obsession and hope. Jesus, we're feeling uh, punchy today. A little punchy. We're a little, we're we're all a little punchy. It's uh, right, but, an article about Chibi Robo, and then Rob just says, "Hey, what well, if you just stop doing these?" Also, we might have like I'm just I'm, but I'm also just like trying to. This is me distracting myself from my anxiety that a bad read of an engagement email uh, might have like brought a relationship no. to a crisis. No, uh, I, that I would not have been it. No, because I will say, you know, like it can be easy to think like. We've been together so long. Like, what's marriage really going to change? Oh, Rob, More than you Rob, think. Rob, 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 if you're just digging poorly, you're not helping. <laughs> I can fix it. I can fix it. Rob, just let him out. Like, okay. Rob's pitching a new personal project. So did you break up? So did you break counselors? up? <laughs> uh, well, then I don't have anything to say. But, you know, if you're thinking about it. <laughs> Do you know what the nightmare scenario is, though? Like, what if this is listened to out of order? Oh, <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> like the fact that you you decided to invoke it, I wasn't going to bring it up, and then you now you've in, you you've introduced a chaos element. There's too much happening. Uh, you, right. I should have just taken this out after 
making that comment that absolutely was not a threat or a call to action. Um, <laughs> no. I, I just got a little too loopy. Uh, so you know what? You're right. We just need to get out now. That's a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you I know want some other people from- who should get out now. <laughs> If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where are you? Just hiding out at Patrick Klopik. Renata. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ren or Raven or on co-host at the same. Kato. At A underscore Kato underscore appears. You can also go check out what we publish on waypoint.vice.com. We've also been streaming a whole bunch, thanks to Waypoint Plus. Thanks to the folks who've signed up at waypointplus.com. Spoidy's going to pivot into it again. Well, you've been streaming a whole bunch. A lot of Rob streams. Yeah. That's been a lot of Rob streams. Twitch.tv slash RobPoint. Too much. Too much, Rob, frankly. Uh, But so so much motorsports. Either way. Uh, thanks to the folks who've signed up at waypointplus.com. Uh, for our Waypoint Plus listeners, we're working on some stuff. <laughs> we're working on it. Hey, hey so our Waypoint Less listeners, we're trying. <laughs> Let's just. Yeah. Yeah. If mean, you're a Waypoint le- Less listener, congratulations. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Way less point. <laughs> we're going With to be, So what I can look. I had a, I had a, I had a, okay. I had a half conceived plan. Um, but Patrick confounded me because he's not going to spend his entire holiday weekend, uh, watching TV. Uh, Patrick just so, likes to, Rob just likes to invent new ways to, uh, hate women, notably my wife. And wow. I just, why won't Patrick watch Stranger Things faster? Why does Patrick have to spend time with his wife? Jesus. Okay. Just watch Stranger Things with me, Rob. Robert. It's true. Excuse me. It's true. <laughs> we will do we'll do some sort of oh, yeah, Robert thank you yeah uh anyway if all that sounds good you can get uh if you just want more waypoint you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe <laughs> not only do you get access to our premium feed which will soon have things in it but you're also helping <laughs> support waypoint and everything else we do here <laughs> our theme music is by Bowen the track is miss you off the EP pale machine learn more we'll at see waypoint. if Bowen Bowen sticks around though this <laughs> <laughs> podcast is going <laughs> For now, we're calling time on this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.